You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! Bane has been defeated by a new, darker, reckless and more violent Batman. And now he rules the night. Gene Paul Valley, for better or worse, where's the cow? What follows is our discussion and the highlights of his career as Batman. It's all mostly mercs and hitmen from here on out. Yes, welcome to Ace Comicals Presents Nightfall Part 4. Again, uh, we are joined by Marvin. Hello, everybody to discuss everyone's favourite portion <laughs> of the Nightfall saga. Um, yeah, favourite in big, fat air quotes. Um, and uh, Yes. Um, usual suspects joining us today as well, Leon and Marv. Good evening. Uh, Leon and Rahul even. You're not Marv. <laughs> We're all Marv. We're all Marv now. Oh my god, I've, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to come back and get the mantle off you, Rahul. This, this isn't working out. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the same page as you, Marv. You told me it's to too, expect to not enjoy this, and I didn't. Enjoy it's too it, late, so Marv. Marv. It's, yeah, it's too late, Marv. You're in, you're off in Santa Prisco. <laughs> <laughs> Rahul's the new Marv now. <laughs> it's just a count. It's a countdown to the metal claws and the hallucinations. Just six hundred yeah. pages of self doubt and doing nothing about it, Marv. That's what. It is. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we are here to discuss the portion of the Nightfall saga known as Nightquest: The Crusade, and this covers John Paul's tenure as Batman and his time in the cowl in Gotham. Um, it is at this point, as, as I've discussed in previous, uh, Nightfall episodes, uh, previous parts of this series, it is at this point that there is a fork in the path for the Nightfall saga. And, um, as I've mentioned, we now go into two separate but concurrent lines, um, the, uh, the Crusade and the Search. The Crusade is the bit we're covering today in more detail. That's the bit that covers John Paul, uh, John Paul or John Paul in, um, Gotham and uh, the search is concerns Bruce Wayne's recovery and globe trotting quest to rescue Dr. Consolving and Tim Drake's father, Daddy Drake. Um, in reading order, the search comes after the crusade, although the events are simultaneously. So, so the way you would read it is you would read all of the crusade and then you would move on to the search because the, when the search ends, the search ends at, uh, Robin issue seven which is the bit that ties it's the conclusion to night quest it ties both lines together this is when bruce comes back to gotham and uh, realizes that he's made a terrible mistake in uh <laughs> total arrested development fashion um <laughs> so he sees basically bruce comes back to gotham and he sees the state of the mansion and you know gets the full story from tim about what's been happening and he's like holy fuck what have i done and then uh, from there onwards, it's night, uh, night's end. Um, so, yeah, um, 
the search is it's Bruce Wayne and Alfred searching for this is just the cliff notes basically uh, because we're not going to discuss it in full I'm just going to because I don't I don't think it deserves as much time as Night Quest I don't think it's as interesting as Night Quest and I believe that it is born of the necessity to keep Bruce out of Gotham and out of the main orbit of events um, that's what I believe the purpose of the search was from a writing perspective and it is it is the weaker portion it's not as well written as the crusade um it it almost feels like it was an afterthought maybe i don't know has anyone else here ever looked at the search at all i read it this morning yes and do you feel as i feel i probably feel stronger um it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's um i truly i'm i'm so glad that we're talking about it at the beginning of this episode because i i truly if we had to spend an entire like episode talking about the search i would probably gouge my eyes out it's um it it was there were fun parts of it but there's not many redeeming qualities um again like we were talking about in um the uh, sword of azrael um books i just don't like how bruce is written like the first couple of issues of the search there's just one liners every two seconds it's really it's a hard read um when um chandra um is like telling bruce in disguise that um you know don't follow me like instead of being the world's greatest detective bruce is like oh my god she's in on it i've got to stop her i can't believe she's involved in all these crimes and i'm like you're f- you're batman you're bat you're better than this you're better than this story um i didn't enjoy it um i'm glad that i've covered it now because the um yeah. the questions that i had all those years ago reading just nightfall and night's end yeah. <laughs> um have been answered but i didn't need those answers well it's part of it, it was basically only just published as part of the 25th anniversary so mm. it took that long for them to to collect it and publish it because in the original cut of like night quest when you uh, when you would origin when you were originally buying the collections when they were printed um and then like in subsequent printings up to the 25th anniversary they kind of omitted a lot of the search or the majority of the search because it just didn't really add any weight to anything hmm. and i can under- totally understand why because it is basically an afterthought born of necessity trying to trying to keep Bruce out of Gotham and away from the main orbit of, of events because they weren't allowed to take him off the board completely like they originally wanted to. Um, and that's that's pretty much why I believe it exists. And also, Denny O'Neill didn't like it. He hated it. <laughs> like, um, interview I read with him famously did not like the search. Um, yeah, I mean, if if I did this, I would have because it's not necessary what i what, like if it were me and i were i were writing this and i had to keep bruce involved somehow i would have gone um like for possibly putting bruce um bruce's recovery like he maybe would have gone to maybe would have gone to santa prisca and it would have finished in santa prisca he would have rescued um chandra and tim drake's father and then possibly instead of going back to Gotham, he would have gone somewhere else to recuperate. Maybe back to the people that like, maybe you could have skipped the search and like, this is the stuff. Um, maybe he could have gone back to some of the masters that trained him straight away. Hmm. And, and after, reco- you know, maybe he, he'd be recovering, he'd get his back back, but then he would go back straight back into training and then come back to Gotham possibly. I don't know, but I wouldn't have had him um, like, breaking I don't, up, I don't breaking think up fos- breaking up fox hunts in the english countryside 
Yeah. <laughs> With some dude who wears the St. George cross. Mm. Like, oh, I hate those issues. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad I didn't read this. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I, I'll, I'll literally, I'll drop you a paragraph of what you missed because that, that's <laughs> the summary of it is way more entertaining than the actual 233 pages. Hmm. Okay, but I just, mean, it's... Greg, just to answer a quick question. Um, yeah, when you say taking Bruce out of the picture, you're referring to how they. You've mentioned this a couple of times in previous episodes where they'd intended to kill him off, but they couldn't because of um, Death of Superman. Is that right? Is that what you yeah, mean they, when they could have taken him out a different way? They had to. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't necessarily because of Death of Superman. It was um, had they known that Death of Superman was coming and was going to be this close to what they were planning to do with Batman, they probably. They they said that they wouldn't have pulled the trigger on this anyway, but right. I think the reason they weren't allowed to take Bruce Bruce off the board completely is because the DC execs just wouldn't let them. Mm, that makes sense. So yeah, it, it's not it's not a fact that they didn't. Um, it, it's not a fact that they they couldn't kill him because of the fact that they'd already killed Superman. It's just DC said no, possibly because Superman was dead. It's a but, shame at the that, time, uh, but yeah. Yeah, it's a shame that contrivance or that constraint didn't lead to a better side story, but oh well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was the necessity and the need to keep him involved and to keep him on the pages somehow, but without having him actually involved. So without having him sticking his oar in any deeper, because that would, because if he if he had remained in Gotham, then that would have like it would have made it more difficult for them to be like John Paul's running rogue because Bruce is there letting him do it at that point. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. You understand why. So, yeah. Um, this is yeah. You could yeah. Exactly. I think I think that's possibly what they wanted to do, like not kill him, maybe put him in a coma or something like that. But I don't know. I mean, they they do have like an entire um, part of the Nightfall story dedicated to the fact that he's comatose and he needs this medicine to stop his back yeah. from being permanently. Like they could have just kept him asleep. But yeah, that's um, a whole yeah. other run of comics that they can't sell. Then I guess true, right? true. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's, there's, there's. Uh, it's telling that the only parts of the search that I enjoyed were related to Alfred. Like right at the beginning, he makes a joke about listening to Big Daddy Kane, and then um, right at the end, when he comes back to the Batcave and John Paul's there in his armor, um, he literally just doesn't even look at him. He just walks past him and bullies him into being a hero. He's like, "Are you Batman or are you not? Go, go and protect this person that I'm asking you to protect. Are you, are you a hero?" And he's like, yeah. "Oh, okay, all right, I guess I will." <laughs> Yeah, and he he see because he's there cleaning up, isn't he? Because he's yeah. the state of the of the of the manor, and he's just like, oh Jesus Christ, here we go, gets the <laughs> duster out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so it, it's this the basically you've got this like really really weak villain called Benedict Asp. <laughs> um, he has mind powers, and so does Chandra. It turns out, and when they combine their mind powers, they can either heal or kill people and um they make a helmet that is able to harness the brain waves chandra can solving waves power waves whatever that that benedict asp can then focus and use to kill people and he wipes out an entire english village and um chandra gets reduced to having the mind of a child because of everything that happens 
I, I was incredulous. And uh, but yeah. like, um, believe it or not, loyal listener, it's actually stupider than that because um, they didn't make the helmet. Um, unnamed Russian people made the helmet. The person <laughs> who is using the helmet doesn't know what the helmet is. He just knows that somehow it channels these this weird twin ability yeah. that these two adopted children who have nothing to do with each other genetically have. And well. While Chandra is using her hitherto unspoken of healing abilities, um, the group of bad guys that this guy has gathered up, they're siphoning off death waves as a byproduct of her healing. And yeah. then later on, they just, he keeps her drugged and then works with her to change her, to, to abuse her emotions until she's in a state where she hates people enough to yeah. make them drop dead. It's the, it's one of the stupidest things I've ever he, read in he, my life. He commits all the midsummer murders at once, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he, he, t- he, take, he takes out. <laughs> A quaint British village, and it's <laughs> it's awful. A little bit of history dead right there. Everyone but Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a, a, a Labour went up a couple of seats that day. <laughs> Brexit lost some votes. <laughs> <laughs> the Brexiteers lost some votes. Yeah. <laughs> if only, if only, if only we'd had the helmet when Brexit was happening. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, and it's it's edge for edge sake, right? As well in places, Marv. Yeah, like it, I really wish you'd have read part of this, Leon, just so you can speak to the Chandra's backstory. Is that she is the sister of a white guy who was adopted by these two religious parents, and the dad who adopted her adopted her because he likes to beat people, and because he believes that black people are subhuman, he thinks if he adopts a black daughter, he can take his belt off and whip her without any religious guilt because he's whipping an evil piccaninny demon. What the and he, fuck? He actually there are says panels, that line. He says are, that line are, in the book. There are panels in this book where it's um, you dirty pickaninny, you black slut, uh, while he's whipping her with a, a, a belt and the wife is just knitting on the sofa because she doesn't want to get involved. See, it, it's that era of, of like, as Greg alluded to before, like just pointless edge where it's like, I'm saying something important right now, but rarely it's just um, like exploitation. And I mean that in the, the genre sense. And it's like, hmm. what does it yeah. add? <laughs> nothing absolutely nothing and basically it gives her the, the she kills it she kills her adoptive father in the end like that's that's where they first figure out that she's got some kind of power um but like it's just why what, or why on that, earth it reminds me of that like that thing that you could kind of get where like um Say you like particular mediums like comics or anime and stuff. And you'd be watching them for ages and you'd never sort of see yourself in there because hmm. the character's usually only portrayed as one particular type. And then you have the thing of like, oh, it'd be cool if they have, uh, if like a black person showed up in this or if an Asian person showed up in this for that comics or, or like whatever. And then... Or, or if, I guess if you're if you're like uh, LGBT, like someone who 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 is from the same walk of life as you appearing, and then they do in the show, and they're a joke, either a joke, or they're like exploited in some way, hmm. or like what happens to them is come comes from a well-meaning space, but it's like either super patronizing or like uh, insidiously racist, and you think like 
Maybe it's better if we just weren't in these then. Yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. I mean, this this stuff in, in, in these comics, it just comes over as gross. Hmm. Yeah, like, it sounds like generating yeah. like an acceptable villain to then go ahead and murder, but at the expense yeah. of putting all of this negative shit into the ether. Uh, exactly. And it's it's not even as if like they did all of that um that horrible backstory, blah 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 blah, and it ended up like serving Shondra's story well. It's like they do all of that and then she spends the entirety of the search being tied up, drugged, slapped about the face and made to murder people against her will. And, and the also, end of her storyline is that she ends up uh, <laughs> with the mind of a baby. Yeah. Um, like playing with dolls on a beach in Santa Prisca. She was like one of the world's leading um, surgeons and like, you know, physiotherapists, I should say. And like, I always wondered after reading Nightfall and Night's End, like, oh, what happened to Chandra? Because he, he gets really close to her in Nightfall. She doesn't show up in Night's End. And then I don't remember seeing her in any Batman comics after that. And I'm so sad to find out that her, yeah. her, her, the contribution that I missed of hers to comic book history is being beaten and then basically lobotomized. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Awful. It's horrible, horrible book. Um, but then like, it's not just that. It's like the, the, the language that Asp uses like throughout when he, he just basically just calls her a slut the whole time, Hmm. like constantly. And it's just, it's just, it, it's not, it adds nothing to anything. It really doesn't. It's like, there's absolutely no point in, in having this chunk of comics. Like, I don't, I don't think that this cut, this chunk of comics has much point in being like, you can't really. It doesn't add anything. Like you, you're better off just. I think. I think they had it right the first time when they collected the crusade and the bits of the search that actually made sense to be included, i.e., Robin number seven. Hmm. But like, I, I don't. You know, I think you could. I think they could have kept Bruce involved in a better way without doing it this way and and without including all of this stuff because it is it is really bad. Well, but, the yeah. one good thing is that it um <laughs> it, it it made me slightly appreciate the crusades a little bit more just a little bit more exactly how much better is the crusade now you know what <laughs> what you um, could have read <laughs> not not much but uh considerably <laughs> yeah so um yeah that that is um the search and um the search is comprised of Justice League Task Force 5 and 6, Batman Shadow of the Bat 21 and 22, Batman Shadow of the Bat 23 uh, Batman Legends of the Dark Knight 59, 60, and 61. So that is what comprises the search. Um, I would say that you could almost uh, class Robin 7 as a different... Um, a different thing altogether because it's kind of it kind of marries the two together so it doesn't really fit into either camp but i i would include it as part of the crusade because it's a good comic so yeah that was the search um our message to you is you don't have to read it you can skip it it's not necessary really to enjoy nightfall if you want to go back and read it do but be warned it's aggressively edgy it has um really unnecessary like gendered violence racial violence yeah um, exactly abuse (laughs) yeah it's so yeah those are your warnings but yeah i mean that the search it's out there it got collected for the 25th anniversary it's available (laughs) (laughs) so yeah there we go um what we're going to do now though is we're just going to move on to what we really came here to discuss which is night quest the crusade 
Now, the Crusade, possibly the largest chunk of comics and portion of the continuity, which is why we aim to bring you a discussion on the highlights and possibly our favourite parts rather than giving you like a full breakdown. Uh, also, it's it's the bit that has the kind of the least a bit happening. I think you guys in previous conversations we've had on WhatsApp and things, I've likened it to filler. Like yeah, episodes of anime and stuff. It, yeah, it's <laughs> it's um it's weird because like like I was saying when we were talking about the search, my initial back in the day experience of Nightfall was like reading you know um Broken Bat Who Rules the Night, the two halves of the Nightfall that were like collected as trades, and then reading the Night's End trade and always wondering what happened in between. So I kind of feel like I inadvertently had the very best experience of Nightfall possible because I cut all <laughs> of this stuff out of it. <laughs> You had Nightfall Kai. Yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, this is the longest section of Nightfall that I've read so far. And again, reminded to the audience that this is the first time I'm reading any of this stuff. It's the longest section, but it's the one that I have the least amount of notes for. And I think it's because um, <laughs> it's so piecemeal. There's so many like two-issue yeah. stories that then sort of resolve really quickly. Um, so it's easy to pick my favorite from it, but it's also a lot of it's quite forgettable. It's a modern Batman for people with shorter attention spans. I love that line, yeah. <laughs> the Siskel and Ebert. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Two thumbs So, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, largest chunk of comics and portion of the continuity. Um, this basically covers, uh, the way we did it is we, well, the way I read it was I read Night, Night Quest, The Crusade, Volumes 1 and Volumes 2, which are like the new 25th anniversary collections. Um, so the Crusade Volume 1, is Detective Comics 667 to 670, Robin uh, 1 and 2. This is Robin Volume 2. So this is this is Tim Drake's solo book, mm. um, which would be Robin Volume 2. So Robin number 1 and 2 is uh, I- I included. Uh, Batman Shadow of the Bat 19 to 20, Batman 501 to 504, and Catwoman 6 and 7. That's the Crusade Volume 1. The Crusade Volume 2 is Detective Comics 671 to 675, Batman Shadow of the Bat 24 to 28, Batman 505 to 508, and Showcase 94, number 7. So, yeah, I mean, general impressions of this portion of the saga, and in particular, I'm interested um, in the opinions of uh, Rahul, as always, because he's the newbie to this. So... I tell you what, we'll uh, we'll book the um, we'll book the talk order that I put here because I did I did have a, a specific talk order. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to let Rahul give us his impressions first as the first timer. <laughs> wow, <laughs> lots of pressure right up front. Um, <laughs> the first big comment that I've put that's in bold is I like Tim Drake's line bootleg Air Maxes. Where did he get them? <laughs> <laughs> and also, I think like my favorite stuff comes at the end of volume two. Like I, I was almost going to make a glib comment about like, Oh yeah, the best part about it is that it ends, but like it does actually end in a somewhat satisfying way. Like it all kind of, kind of resolves interestingly, but like we'll get them. We get there. But for the most part, I thought this was wholly unnecessary. And like one of the most entertaining bits for me actually was, um, entertaining by virtue of knowing you, Marvin, because every single time the bat locomotive came up, I thought just how upset you must be as a train driver. Like <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the sheer disdain that he has for like, like 
one of the worst things in the world is when you have like teenagers on the platform doing the save your life joke where like they pretend mm. to throw their friend on the tracks mm. you have a little mini heart attack every time and the fact that batman is riding a train towards his train towards a, a, a passenger train and he's like oh you know the driver will have to convince people what he thought he saw no regard to this person's emotions whatsoever oh mm. painful also just <laughs> assuming that the um <laughs> like the the structure and the timings and whatever of all of these these trains are pitch perfect every single yeah, time. Like yeah. there's not a single chance that they could be delayed <laughs> or slowed down. It's the system. It's just the system. Yeah, the system. The, si- the system. TM. Like <laughs> I'd love to see the bat train in uh, in London. Like, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. There would be no trains left. <laughs> be- well, the, the thing is, with all of his like, I've memorized the network at uh, three hundred miles per hour. He'd be sat behind a metropolitan line train, like while there's a signal failure somewhere in Baker Street. Like <laughs> he'd look behind him and see a train, look in front of him and see a train in the middle of rush hour, and just be like, "God, I should have walked." <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm thinking like all the like the, the line closures and things like that i'm just imagining him trying to handle that <laughs> maybe he would have gone off the rails a little quicker yeah intended. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah so, so to, to go back and give some like serious <laughs> opinions on this like i do wish that there was more robin but i understand that by virtue of how these comics you know continuities run and that it has to have parallel stories and whatever all the stuff that I really cared about, which is how Robin, or how Tim Drake is dealing with Bruce's absence and this, you know, interloper who's come in and um, who's supposed to be there to take up the mantle, but isn't doing it the way that anyone would expect him to do. I wanted to see his story and I should really have been reading whatever parallel Robin story track there is, you know, next to this. Um, and like, there's so many different villains, but only two of them I really enjoyed. And I think it was the, um, like the penguin one shot or like the one issue I thought was quite interesting because it was actually, it was a bunch of dialogue where in for these two entire volumes, I was basically skimming over a lot of it because I just wasn't that interested. Uh, but finally having Gordon and Penguin um, have a conversation in a locked room and like seeing how that plays out, I thought was quite entertaining. And then right at the very end when all of the stuff to do with um, the abattoir uh, like sort of pays off and how it escalates and how it culminates I thought was interesting the rest of it I really I, I have to be honest I just wasn't interested I wasn't I couldn't care for it um, the other thing was all of the stuff about the system I feel like there was some interesting stuff about his backstory and like how he how he became Azrael and how he was uh, brainwashed and you know him discovering the stuff that his father did to him to make him this way but like a lot of it was just him mentioning over and over and over again oh the system has screwed me up and how do I overcome the system and then not actually doing much about it apart from one instance where he decides to buy a sensory deprivation tank and just enjoys it for one evening and then doesn't (laughs) revisit that concept again oh he doesn't buy it he just breaks into a warehouse full of them a convenient warehouse full of sensory deprivation tanks (laughs) and like the whole thing about him because one one thing I thought uh, that was interesting about Jean-Paul, which I hoped would be uh, like dived into further, is how the system has given him this training in his engineering skills. And like, there are multiple points in these two books where he says, I need to sit down and improve my suit. And he does it like two or three times, but really all he's doing is adding rockets or adding guns. And like, there's nothing that inventive or that interesting. And like, I kind of get Leon's hate for this this outfit now, or like this, yeah. this suit, because it adds nothing. It's just angles for the sake of angles and then rocket launches yeah. for some reason i will i will say 90s. 
<laughs> I will say, it, like in in defence of my uh, comments about the suit, I only liked the first iteration as it's shown in the Nightfall book because um, mm. every, every addition to it makes it worse. And the only thing that I like about it thematically is that, um, as you'll see when we get to Night's End for various reasons, um, he's just basically making the, the suit more and more Azrael. He's making it more and more mm-hmm. basically medieval armor. So it's almost like the Azrael system part of him is just infecting the bat suit. So thematically, I like that with the changes, but the changes themselves are awful visually. <laughs> I, I always imagine it like a, um, an old toy commercial. So, like, a bunch of kids playing with these Batman toys, and then it's like, ha, here comes Azbat, and he just, like, slams the figure down. He's like, <laughs> with fully automatic shuriken launcher. <laughs> you know. That chorus of kids' and voices. It, Hell yeah. yeah and it comes, <laughs> Dude, it comes cool, with a dude. bunch of, it comes with a bunch of Batman Rose Gallery standees that you can just knock over. That, that 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 moment where he um he busts into the warehouse, lifts up both arms, and says, "Arm rockets activate!" Like you can you, you can hear a kid in a in a toy commercial like, hey, "Buzz Lightyear, arm rockets activate!" <laughs> but then he got, he has the audacity to like give a lecture about how bad guns are after like launching rockets from his arms. Like fuck off, John! Like come on. <laughs> John Paul's arm is dislocated, but he doesn't give up because of the system. <laughs> yeah. If I have to read the words the system one more time, oh my god. <laughs> Trust me, now that we've done all of this, it only gets better from here. Yeah. <laughs> this is the low point. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean like um Leon, I mean, let, give give us your impressions of this bit. So have you ever had you ever read any of this before? Yeah, not this part. Not uh, the no. It was all new. <laughs> um, yeah, because uh, my traversal through the Nightfall stuff has been it's been the same as Marth's. Um, I think the only thing I'd read extra previously was one of the prequel books, but otherwise it's been been the same journey as Marth. So I've never known how like the connective tissue. And to be honest, because I hate. Uh, John Paul, I've never cared. <laughs> but it, it is interesting seeing it now because it's interesting from a contextual publication point of like, uh, what were they doing at the time? And like, obviously, this change was done for like reasons. Are those reasons being communicated, or is it just like edgy Batman that they're delivering, or are they actually trying to do something interesting with that? So even if that was the mandate, are they? Um, doing serving the mandate well from a a narrative point of view and also like it was i wanted i was interested to know how sort of the the, how gotham would be uh, in this change because i was really expecting earlier on for people to be like oh this is a different batman but it's it's kind of wild how long the book goes on before people like uh acknowledge that there's all these different um, urban legends about like, yeah, yeah Bat- Batman died after Bane, Bane and they like uh, t- uh, transplanted his brain into into the robot or something like that. <laughs> and, like, all, all that stuff is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, my some of my like uh, hesitations with this stuff is kind of proven. Not to say that um, I think that there's nothing redeeming from this, th- these volumes of, of comic, because that would not be true. 
there are some like interesting things in there and I ended up liking more than I thought I would going in hmm. because uh, as Rahul alluded to, this is a big chunk of book. Uh, a big chunk of book. And um, <laughs> it, it really does feel like um, in some ways it feels like you're watching a cartoon from the 90s where there was no sequential thing for the most part in a lot of these cartoons. It was like hijink episode and then next episode was hijinks and it's like which bad guy can we have the hero face again each week but the thing that is kind of perverse about that is that I feel like comic book cartoons at the time were actually giving us that long form narrative that uh, connected from episode to episode and gave us multi parts and stuff so it, it is sort of a weird push and pull where it seems like the comic was going in one direction. Obviously, you've got the the background story of the the whole Nightfall thing going on. Mm. But in terms of how the rogues or how the different events fit the wider narrative and fit the theme, they only kind of serve as interesting concept drawing to do something so that John Paul can go out there and fight and deal with the system and and sort of put, get pushes limits further and further and further and further. But it, it like I kind of wish to a degree that some of it served the the, the story more or more so the theme hmm. because it, it like you go from like having like bigger foes like say the Joker, uh, director Joker entering the. Um, the piece, and then you have like these random like Cyclops <laughs> visor villains uh, mm. like enter later on, and I know what purpose they're serving, but it's kind of like like what? And then you have like uh, what's the name? The is it cor- corrosive man? Corrosive man, yeah. Yeah, and it's like what? Like, <laughs> and it, 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 it's like they, they threw like uh, bat bat uh, batarangs at a dartboard and. Whichever got closest to the middle, they were like, "Yeah, let's do that." The 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 moment that made me feel that the most is the fact that they're like, "Oh no, that's not Clayface. That's Clayface 3. Here's his backstory <laughs> in case you don't know, because nobody talks about Clayface three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's like the "I'm a celebrity, get me out of here" of Gotham Rogues, isn't it? It's <laughs> yeah. B-list, but it's weird because it's, it's like a mix of like B-list, but also because. You could use B-list characters to do that thing that I was asking for. And yeah. Sort of contort, as they're less important, contort their stories to more relate to what's going on. But but they don't do that that often. Not to say they don't do it at all. But they don't do it that often for it to be compelling. Mm. So obviously we're reading this in a way that it was not originally intended to be read. You have, you, you are reading these month by month, but then they did release them as volumes. So it is kind of like, you get a bit of whiplash when you just like, you've read a bunch of comics in a row and just like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> this is some wheel spinning right now. Mm. Like why? Like, Surely the gears of the story in the background and stuff must be like accelerating quicker than this. But like um it it feels like at times they spend like ten issues 
getting uh, John Paul to a place that he could have gotten for. It's just weird because it's not to say that to armchair write a, a, a 13 year old comic, but it's more a case of what what works and what doesn't work, what for me and what felt effective. Like even um, comparing it to other stuff earlier on in Nightfall that seemed to um, connect those things a lot better for me. That when you get to to this book, it in some ways it does feel like they're trial running the uh, edgy Batman, and like it's so weird to reflect on a thing from like childhood, where there's some stuff in like childhood, especially in, in the teenage years, where I, I would uh, dismiss a thing because it was like maybe it, it just it wasn't in vogue or whatever like that or it, like it wasn't like the thing I liked before so I would dismiss it and part of me thought like maybe that's why I was so uh, so harsh to to John Paul least, like, he wasn't my Batman he wasn't the Batman I wanted to see and it just felt like a waste of time while he was doing that but no going back I, like young me was right man <laughs> <laughs> this guy sucks and he doesn't suck in a cool way where it's like he sucks to show you that the other Batman's cool, blah blah. Or like, yeah. um, like this is what Batman would look like if he was uh, if he went all the way type thing. And it's like it's trying to do some of those stuff, and it feels like yeah, that's the point of a lot of this stuff. But it never feels compelling. Like I don't feel like I'm on this journey with him. Like I don't, I don't. Even though we spend a lot of time with him and in, in his head, I don't feel like oh man, this is tragic. Because it is tragic, but I don't feel that. Even yeah. reading hundreds of pages with him, like it doesn't. I don't feel brought into the story that way. Instead, uh, I feel I feel kind of like put at arm's length, and it's like the things just happening in in, in front of me, and uh, I'm having no communion with this text. And it it, it it sounds it sounds silly to use those words and be talking about like a Batman comic. But like, it, it is true. It's true, especially even just relating it to the stuff in Nightfall that came before, leading up to the, the backbreak. Like that Batman stuff. Yeah, obviously it's a character that been with me my whole life and stuff. But that stuff was was handled pretty well, and, and like him being worn down and worn down, and it did make um, Bane compelling as a villain. Um, hmm. And it's just weird here that we got this anti-hero guy who is not the Batman we want. Fair enough. Uh, but like what he's gone through and uh, what we've seen of his like backstory and stuff is awful. Like it's a, a mental torture. And I feel like they dig into it in the cool law ways, like duh, 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 they taught me how to do blah, blah, but not really in how it relates to him. It just feels like he's got a headache every now and again. It's like, Oh, my memories. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't affect, it doesn't add to the theme. Like you were saying, there's there is no theme really overreaching these two books. And like, uh, like I was alluding to earlier, they do sort of shoehorn it in into the end, like the consequences of what it means that you know Jean Paul is a version of Batman that you know Bruce could have been if he didn't hold back something or if he didn't exercise something that he does. Like it does, it's not clearly spelled out, and it's it's a missed opportunity to not have that as like a dark mirror of Bruce. It's just things are happening and they have no they have no real weight up until the very end of volume two i think they tried to do that a little bit but i think the message got lost in in the broader strokes of things that they were doing as well um just to 
go off Leon's point about Clayface 3 and the Corrosive Man, I think it's down to a, um, a kind of a, 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 using what was in continuity at the time. So these are things that would have been in the memory of the reader at the time, or, or things that the reader would possibly, um, like these, these are, are villains that the reader would be, would be more familiar with at the time. As in like these, these were more forefront than they were, than they are now. So any, any more recent Batman stories or any older Batman stories, you're going to get like the original Clayfish and get Basil Carlo and things like that. But then like these guys were forefront at the time. I mean, Corrosive Man, um, his first appearance was in June 19, 1988. So he was pretty fresh. Um, Preston Payne, um, his first appearance was in, um, I mean, he's 10 years prior to that, I think, um, 1978. Yeah, there we go. Um, but like, it was, it was all sort of like, this is kind of like, what is, these are the villains we're putting in Batman comics at the time. This is, this is what readers will be this is this is what will be in the re- the forefront of readers minds i think is what they were going for there mm. possibly um because these this is who they were using around that time um to tell those sorts of stories um the thing is though like even with the some of these d-list characters that you mentioned like corrosive man i was i was quite interested when specifically like corrosive man came up because i was like oh that's a character that we haven't seen Jean-Paul really have to tackle before. Like, how's he going to deal with somebody who isn't just some dude with a bunch of guns that, you know, he's tackled before. And then that's over in like two issues that it's not ever really explored or it's, you know, the, that the character of the villain and the character of Jean-Paul dealing with a new type of villain is never really, really never has anything interesting added to it. And it's just a thing that happens. And then you move on to the next one. It's very just Mm. serialized. It felt like watching soap opera where there's, there's no consequences to anything. Like it's yeah. a shame because I don't have any preconceptions about what is a A-list villain or what's a D-list villain for Batman. I'm just interested in seeing everything that's put in front of me. And yeah. like to see it, to see an interesting concept introduced and then frittered away is frustrating. But hmm. also, what's A-list and what's D-list is actually subjective when you think about it. Like I'm saying, it depends on who writers are using at the time. Hmm. I guess, and who's in the forefront of your mind, because whose stories have you been reading for the past however long? Right. But like, like uh, I think both of our points are that like mm. it doesn't. I don't care who it is. Uh, I don't. Yeah, do <laughs> cool, just do something cool with them. And, yeah. Uh, in my yeah. case, and it sounds like in Ralph's case, they didn't do something cool with them. Mm, they could have like, done something far cooler. Like the 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 direct juxtaposition of um like seeing uh, how like you were saying, the effect of the villain on the storyline when you have like the story with Corrosive Man and the only effect that it has on the story is that his cape gets burned. And yeah. like, you know, you, you, whoever, the, the, the train robber twins or whoever, like they come in, they get beat up and they leave. Whereas the trigger the, twins. Well, there you go. Whereas <laughs> in the second half of Nightfall, you have Jean-Paul uh, donning the mantle of the bat, going out, you know, Tim Drake, shocked and horrified of course but you have like his um him bouncing off of anarchy and like i'd never seen anarchy before that comic and i don't really ha- i haven't really seen much of anarchy after reading nightfall but um uh, so his my point being his effect on me as like a villain slash anti-hero in the batman world is the same as corrosive man would have been it's mm-hmm. just like i've seen him in this story but he 
the way that he is written against John Paul in that Nightfall um, arc is infinitely better than anything that's done in the Crusade because it tells you more about how Gotham works. It tells you more about how um, uh, how Jean Paul works as Batman. It shows you like his priorities when it comes to saving people versus getting the bad guy versus oh I knew Robin would be like all these little bits that tell you things about the characters in the story versus the crusade which is just like someone comes up they either beat John Paul up or John Paul beats them up and then it moves on to the next one mm. um see- and like the 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 big like when Leon was talking about um not reading it in the way that it was meant to not sorry that's bad phrasing it not being read when we're reading it in volumes the way that it was originally presented um i think i think a big um indicator of that is the the feeling that you get reading the crusade is as everyone has said and i'm not going to go on ad, ad nauseum um that you know it feels serialized and you're just reading these individual snippets that kind of don't build up to a cohesive narrative versus reading the first half of nightfall where when you read it as a collection it becomes the gauntlet and even though it is like every two three issues another batman villain comes in and wears him down a little bit more it's all building up to this giant wave that crashes on batman it, it's telling an overarching story while it's doing the oh here's the next arkham inmate counterpoint because mm-hmm. i mean i'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here but this is something that i picked up on because john paul this the broad strokes dear listener for um the crusade in case you haven't already guessed is basically <laughs> um this is John Paul's twisted crusade. He's fueled by hallucinations and a mind broken by subliminal training courtesy of the system. This is the, his dad's, um, learn while you sleep tapes. Um, he's now wearing the mantle of the bat and slowly morphing into some kind of anti Batman, which is basically a perversion of the Batman to the point where he patrols the streets with a fully automatic weapon by the end of it. And it's like every time he comes up against someone, it kind of breaks him a little bit more because what start what he starts to do is think like, well, Bruce would have handled it like this, but I'm going to do this because I'm better than Bruce and I need to be better than Bruce. And he starts to get it in his head and he start he it's not that he he just wants to be Batman now, that he is Batman. It's that he is now on some kind of twisted holy mission to be the dark avenger of Gotham and to deliver the city by any means possible. And he has appointed himself judge, jury and executioner in Gotham by that point. Um, and he's now making, there's a point we get to where he's making decisions on who lives and who dies based on their behavior and things like that. And he's just, um, he's getting, um, it's not just that he's reckless and, and foolhardy and things like that. And that he has no respect or care for the detective work involved or anything else. It's that he is, He's slowly getting worse and each villain put each person or villain he comes up against, um, even if it's one that Bruce has faced before, it, it just pushes him further over the edge and pushes him to try and, and, you know, like must go back and improve the suit, must make myself more lethal, more, more, um, streamlined as a weapon against crime rather than a, 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 you know, a, a, a rather than becoming a, an, a, a, an Avenger like, like Batman is a, a, a um, a force for justice and to uphold the ideals of justice. What, what he becomes is he becomes a tool. Um, and, and the overarching narrative and, and, and it does get better and more cohesive towards the end of volume two, like Rahul was saying, but the overarching narrative is that he is getting worse and he is getting pushed to be worse and worse and worse by each villain he comes against. 
and there's no one to tell him otherwise because he's driven them all away. And when they do try to tell him, he, he doesn't listen to it. Like when the, these conversations with Gordon about his behavior, um, Gordon's almost scared of him. It's not, it's, it's, it's less that like, I, I feel that it does in where with Batman, there was like a healthy respect and camaraderie with, with John Paul Batman. There's this, it's, it's almost like Gordon is frightened of, of what this man is capable of almost like there's like a bit of, um, with the, with the way the characters react to him, it's almost like they, it's like he's ruling Gotham through fear rather than by, you know, upholding values of justice and things like that and working with his allies to to try and make Gotham a better place it's like he's just ruling it with an iron fist um yeah exactly and the other thing I picked up on like what you can see in this section as well you could almost see in the way that this is written and everything else like uh, this is probably like the third time I've read this all the way through because when I originally read this I bought the big fat volumes um when they were printed in big like omnibus volumes and I've got the big fat, which is basically just, it basically collects the crusade and doesn't really collect any of the search. So prior to this episode would be, it would have been like the first time I really read the search as well. Um, but this, this portion was collected in one big volume instead of having two volumes. So it was all, different cut basically a different cut because there's the, every time they've re-released it and reprinted it they've cut it different um from the sounds of things um and it's it's like you could almost see this section as a dig at or a pastiche of the darker extreme comics that would have been on the market at the time because we know that they were using this as like fertile ground for trying out new ideas because they wanted to try a darker they thought well you know this is maybe people would like a darker edgier batman in line with other comics that we're seeing at the time which is something we've discussed before on previous nightfall episode um and like this isn't the protector that gotham is used to this is bouncing off leon's point about how gotham reacts to john paul like he pushes robin away batman's allies and foes can tell there's something wrong in the brutality and the rashness and the hot-headed responses of him and like the violence and the zealousness as well of him trying to carry out this mission like this Batman by the end, it's like the more interesting thing here is seeing how he, because he's this new edgier, darker Batman and he's out of place. He's in Gotham, which isn't new, dark and edgy. He's in a Gotham, which is, you know, like built around the classic Batman. We'll say for just for sake of argument and sake of explanation, and now what we're seeing is we're seeing the way that John Paul, uh, this how this new darker, edgier Batman, this this antihero that that you know this antihero archetype that we're seeing in other comics is playing against the more colourful rogues that from Batman's rogues gallery and and characters like the Trigger Twins, which were introduced for this, but they're very golden age, aren't they? Yeah. Um, now these, yeah. So this is like the second instance of the of the Trigger Twins because the Trigger Twins were actually from Golden Age Western comics, like years and years back, and they made some appearances in other comics further, th- uh, like through sort of time uh, up to now. Um, at this point, we're discussing now, but then in this point, this is like a, a new set. So these aren't the original Trigger Twins. This is um, a new set of Trigger Twins that they made up for this, but they used the likenesses of these Golden Age characters, and they kept it. Like, it's almost like these two Golden Age characters taking on this, this grimdark, um, extreme age character. 
um, and, and in the way that they bounce off each other in the interplay there, in the equipment that they use and how it has absolutely zero effect on him, you know, like using like Smith and Weston <laughs> revolvers and stuff like that. And, and like, um, did he, did he get pull out a Winchester rifle at one point? I believe so. It, it does feel like you were saying, it does feel very much like, um, Adam West yeah. and villains fighting against Christopher Nolan's Batman. Yeah, and I think that's the point. I think that's what that's what we're supposed to be getting. Like, we're supposed to be seeing this as like a meta commentary on the direction that comics are now taking. Because mm. if you if you look at it through that lens, it's it like it's plain as that. I think this is me spending too long, too many sleepless nights thinking about this. It's ruining my life, guys. So you've got to let me. You've got to give me the space to say it. <laughs> but it's like. The thing is, I don't think it's like death of the author kind of thing. Like, I don't think you're wrong to be finding these things in these stories. But I think we've mentioned this in the past where that's a very generous read of this. Of, yeah. Of these books. And like, bless you for finding that. Because I think, you know, you, you do try and find the best in all of these. But I think that, yeah, I feel like that's a very generous reading of something that I would consider a failure of um, actually following yeah. through on the concepts that you're trying to outline right now like yeah that may well have been their intention but i don't think if that was the case and it seems like there are things that gesture to that being the case i don't think they fulfill you know fulfill that thing that they were trying to go for film director joker arc <laughs> to see that that may well have because in that they're, they're very they're very blatant about it um in some of the lines the characters say, the famous panel with, you know, the, the thing we've been referencing all episode is this panel of these, these movie execs talking about Batman, a uh, Batman for, uh, for people with shorter attention spans or whatever. And, um, it's like this completely juxtaposed tone of characters from a brassier age with more optimism and we're thrust into this new pitch dark Gotham against our edgy new crusader where there is like absolutely no optimism. And he has this cold calculating, um, mercenary kind of way of of dealing with things which is something that we're starting to see in comic books um a la spawn and cable and you know all these types um and it's something that starts to pop up in f from the dark age of comics into the extreme age of comics you start to get these these character archetypes that are these like um mercenary types uh, reduced to the fact that they carry big guns they look wild and interesting and they wild interesting and impractical actually and um their the whole they're just their whole persona is i don't care i'm here for the money but if i do if something good happens along the way because of my actions then oh well kind of thing you know um and is it's like the the equipment used the methods the crime and then the way john paul deals with it like john paul's got no time for the joker's shenanigans in the movie recording section and um the joker isn't happy with the fact that it's not the right Batman because he's not doing what Bruce would do. And the Joker knows this. He's like, but, but this isn't what's supposed to happen. This isn't in the script because he's got it all planned out in his mind. Like he knows how the true Batman should react to this stuff. And it's interesting to see that because we're seeing this, this, this new age Batman with this, this brassier age villain kind of thing performing all the same tricks and, and, and whatever, and, and then it being dealt with. And this is the same with the Penguin issue as well. And you, you interestingly brought up, Ray, that that was one of your favourites. Mm. Um, and I think that kind of shows this as well, because we have this deep conversation between Gordon and Cobblepot 
about the direction that Gotham is taking. And, and you could take that as a conversation about the way the comic book world's going at that point in, in the way that all the, the direction that all things are taking in, in this narrative, in this, this turn towards darker, edgier characters. And it's, it's all very meta. And it's like, we're watching the industry change and transition into the extreme age in real time through the pages of nightfall into night quest. Um, and I've clearly spent way too long thinking about this. Well, that's the thing, like, I, I don't, I don't think so. Um, cause mm. I think that stuff is fairly, um, that's like quite astute. Text. Yeah. But I also think, yeah, I think it's a astute point, but I also think it's like the text in terms of like, it's, um, uh, maybe the, obviously the primary thing is to tell a good Batman story to sell comics, but like as a secondary thing, it is quite there. And like one of my favorite sections is the, is the Joker section. Um, and whatever, yeah, maybe it's cause it's to do with movies, you know, it has Cisco and Eber, <laughs> but like, um, I, I would say that my, in how it, in how it's being conveyed, my thing is not that I don't think that's the case because I think that is the case. And, um, that's what adds the whole thing a, a bit more of an interesting, um, say, I don't know, overall like tone. But my, my thing with that is that, um, I think the commenting on the industry stuff and all that stuff is really good, but it doesn't, I don't think it elevates the narrative theme of like John Paul and Batman. So while I think it's a a, a cool thing and it gives you a a, a great snapshot into that period and what different uh, artists, uh, uh, writers and producers were, were, what the, what, 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 how they were feeling about the, the current landscape. I wish that that type of commentary also intersected better with the theming of, of the book. That that's my, pushback from from that but i i I don't disagree with all that stuff because i think that that stuff's like pretty good some of like john paul's more colorful rogues shall we say or and and and, like allies as well um allies by happenstance rather than uh like actual you know allies allies but um some of the things that he comes up against in this and we look at these um these characters and how they're designed and what they're designed to do. And they almost are all like costumed mercenary types. Um, I mean, we'll start with the tally man because he's the first one that kind of turns up after the trigger twins, because we've discussed the trigger twins. Their whole shtick is they're like cowboys, um, like golden age, Western characters thrust into this, this Gotham world, um, new age Gotham world. And they, um, they basically try to perform a train heist. It's like a train robbery, but it's um, a train robbery on the Gotham underground system because they're trying to rob the money train, which is the train that collects all the takings from all the stations each night. And they've got it all planned out, this heist, and John Paul foils it um, in his typical gung-ho bull in a china shop fashion. Um, Moving on to Tallyman. Tallyman's like the first one that gets introduced here because this is like Tallyman's first appearance as well shadow of the bat 19 october 93 um and his whole thing is that he was um he grew up poor on the streets of gotham um 
lived with his mum and sister, constant fear of like criminals and things like that. And basically his dad had a debt and his mother was forced to pay it, never had any money. And he was, you know, abused horribly and like, um, he, he killed the money collector because the money collector, uh, beat his mum or something. And then he was abused horribly. And then he came home and, uh, he found his sister had died and his mum had committed suicide or something like that. Like this real edgelord, dark ass, like origin story. And now he's like in this top hat and long coat that looks wildly impractical. Um, he's skinny as a rake. But it's just, I hate this design. I hate this character design so much. And he's got these two, like, wild Uzi-type guns. And he's just, like, his whole thing is this huge grin on his face, this angular grin and, you know, gritted teeth, this this extreme age, like, real extreme age, like, thing going on. Uh, bullets flying everywhere. Kind of looks like he'd be at home in a Spawn comic. I was going to say, I was expecting, like, I wouldn't have been surprised if, like, um, McFarlane had sued, because, like, he looks like he's just been plucked from the pages of a Spawn comic. From how he's designed, from how his body moves, like, the way his limbs are, are drawn, let alone, like, the character design. Yeah. The, the the blue mask with the red eyes and the white skin, like, he looks like, um, uh, what's what's it called? Not the uh, Eliminator. God, what's, what's the character that John Guiziamo plays in the movie? Eradicator? No, that's Superman. God damn it. You know what I'm talking about. I know who you mean. I just don't have the word right now on the, I can't, it begins with D, doesn't it? Yeah. Is it? I'll, the, I'll def- believe you. Uh, don't worry. It'll def- drive me yeah. crazy in the background. Violator. But, um, thank the violator. You. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> He's like a clown, isn't he? And then he transforms into this big ugly. Exactly. Yeah, he he yeah. looks like he could have been the violator's brother. Spawn's a bit of a blind spot for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he does he does look like he'd be the violators brother this is exactly what i'm getting at with his design and um so so thoughts on the tallyman guys if we're just going to start like pounding through the rogues like what do we what do we think of the tallyman i mean like this is again this is me leaning on this from a, a point of view that they were testing out this this edgy batman and what they're doing is they're they're taking facets of john paul and trying to represent them in his rogues to try and build a rogues gallery for him, a la Batman. But, well, a la original Batman, Bruce Wayne, uh, classic Batman, because this is new Batman, and then what we're going to have is classic, <laughs> like like the Coke thing. But, um, like, can you, like... It, the thing is, though, J- John Paul is so one-dimensional. Like, <laughs> you can't really... He's in a... He was, he was built to be an assassin. He's he's pretty one dimensional in that respect. So I guess everyone that comes up against him that they that that you know they try to reflect him in is going to be an assassin. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Um, let's hear from uh, Marv first, actually. Well, like going into the Tallyman issues, I was like, oh god, this is this is just the worst. This is going to be horrendous. And it turns out, like, with the uh, exception of like the established like rose gallery so like the catwoman issues and the joker issues are both really good um tallyman ends up being one of the most interesting by comparison <laughs> to what comes after because like um you get the when, when we were talking earlier about the uh, uh deprivation tank and all that stuff and you have the the wonderful like pages of um john paul trying to find his way back through the system to try and understand who and what he is juxtaposed with the tanny man going over his backstory 
and those are rendered really well the the, the dreamscape that they're both sort of running through concurrently um and there's there's some interesting stuff in there is what i'm saying like not to like go on too long ago about it but uh as you said the design the the way that he fights the the the, the spindly arms and the weird punches it's just all weird um and i one thing that i really hated like in terms of like comic book layout is that throughout the whole tallyman thing um his interior monologue thought bubbles are the exact same as jean paul's and so it makes it really hard to read who's yeah. talking to themselves it's it's really messy i didn't like it yeah yeah because yeah, they fixed that later on where there's you know three different voices occurring there's like a external narrator there's jean paul's narration and then there's like catwoman's narration they're all colored differently it's surprising it doesn't happen in this issue mm. yeah I, i'm not largely i'm not a fan of the tallyman stuff because i'm i'm not i'm generally not a fan of the art art um although the the pages with um the sensory deprivation tank are really cool mm. like i love i love the pages where he's getting swept into the cyclone and things like that and and into his own dreams and things i think they the art works for that yeah like that that works really well um and the weird machine where he's basically like blasting his son with knowledge rays <laughs> but like i i mean in the real world the art like when we're back into um like the actual fights i just don't like the tallyman like in the way he just like twists through the air and stuff it's just not right and he just doesn't it doesn't look like he should be capable of that like no man should it's just oh he's like um almost like reed richards (laughs) (laughs) in parts of this i don't like it He's, he, he's, a, he's, he's a weird combination of like a spawn character with like Mr. Gon's cape from the Max, just like just doing impossible things with fabric. Just yeah, weird. and then all those chains hanging off him as well. Mm. And he's just uh, a wildly impractical costume. Like, it's just, nah. <laughs> but also, like, um, how, how surreal this character is doesn't seem to match with the like the world that Azriel, as Jean Paul, is living in. Like he, exactly. he's, he's hyper real and like grounded and his suit, you know, has all these, these mech things happening. And like, it's all about like stuff being strapped on and guns and bullets. And then, then there's this guy who's basically made out of springs and it just doesn't seem like he fits into the same universe. It's, it's weird. It's really jarring. Mm. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's strange. But I mean, I, I, I do quite enjoy the artwork and there's some nice, there's some like the, the artwork in those pages specifically, but otherwise I don't think I get on with the artwork in places in the main sort of like, I think, I think the, I think I'm, I'm coming, starting to come to terms with the fact that bits of the artwork I don't get on with are the bits with the tallyman. <laughs> <laughs> like where it's, where it's him moving through the sky or, or him moving through or firing at somebody or, um, in, in his just unnaturally twisty, thin springy way. Like that's the bits I don't get on with. Like, also like it's just yeah no i i mean i like i i i didn't as as far as the rows go the tallyman's not my favorite interaction in here like he's not my favorite bad guy he's pretty i think he's i think he's a, he's pretty weak um as far as some of the rogues that get introduced go um from there it's like you get um there's a fair bit of Robin in here as well. Like, so before the Tallyman stuff, you get the rejection of Robin where we get like this fight in the cave that mirrors 
um, the fight with Bane uh, between Bruce and Bane, where where it's basically this time it's Jean Paul rejecting Robin and throttling Robin, um, and chucking Robin about the cave, basically, uh, which is it's quite it's quite horrible to watch. Like this, these these first couple of issues here where it's like um, issue one of Robin is where it, it kind of like comes to a head where he's holding Robin up by the throat at the opening of that. And then Robin goes on his own little side quest against these car thieves. Um, my, my, my favorite thing. Cause like, obviously that that's a highlight of the story for me. Cause you know me, uh, yeah. Tim Drake, anything yeah. to do with Tim Drake's Robin. I love if it's done well, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, there you go, Tim Drizzle. But um, the the Kelly Jones cover where it's mirroring um, Bane holding up Batman by his cape, and then Jean Paul holding up yeah. Bane by his straps, and then you've yeah. got Jean Paul holding up Robin in the exact same style. And it's just it's nice that you've got that follow through with the theme on the covers. Yeah, it's it, that's that's one of the things I picked up on, and I thought it was very cool. Mm. And um, I did enjoy i I think I think we get to see in those we get to see like the kind of like shades of what's going to happen later on in those pages as well, where he's like, I, they will fear me as they never feared him kind of thing as he's like chucking Robin about and whatever. And it's quite interesting to see that. Um, but I, I like how we do get to see Robin's hurt of like yeah. being abandoned. Like he's like, I, I joined this to be a part of a team, not to go solo. And like, but then him also following through on the teachings that Bruce left him with, um, I thought that kind of stuff was really cool. Uh, I I have some opinions on his car, which I think looks garbage. Uh, it <laughs> literally has a butthole at the back. Um, but apart from that, like I just yeah, I yeah. wish there was more Tim in. Uh, What's in, that in episode this? of The Simpsons where Homer gets like a Pope mobile thing or something? Oh yeah, yeah where he gets <laughs> his, his his rich brother lets him design the car and he makes yeah. the Pope mobile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that Robin, that Robin Mobile uh, Rahul. Like I remember being, even though I was all in on anything Tim Drake, even like as a kid, I was like, that's a bit much. Like yeah. I, I, I wish his car looked cooler because he's a cool character. Yeah. <laughs> Though I like the the fight sequences we get with him, where he's like, um, you know, he's up against a big bruiser guy, and he's like bouncing around. He's like, how long can I keep that up? Not long. Like he knows, he knows his limitations. Yeah. He knows what he can do. He's we get some of his ingenuity, and it's yeah. really cool, like splash images, which are like black and red silhouettes of him just kicking ass with his staff in his hand. I think that stuff's really cool, and I mm. really, I really missed Robin in these entire two books. Yeah. So what about the um, the bit with the, uh, the the keeping up with the Joneses couple fight? Uh, with Robin and um, Ariana versus those <laughs> those two rich kids, yeah, really makes you remember that he's fifteen years old. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting that he's that young in these stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, I've got a car. Well, I've got a car too, kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> we know. Does give you a bit of like um, like young Spider Man energy? Yeah, that's what mm. I was thinking. Going for some uh, some Peter Parker in there. Um. So yeah, I mean, like moving on from the Tallyman, you're sort of heading into Mecross territory now. So Mecross is again like, so what what I found interesting about the Mecross portion is the fact that it is mirroring John Paul in like the self in the hypnosis side of things. But 
what I find about Macross is just how utterly ridiculous the idea of being able to hypnotize yourself. How can you hypnotize yourself if you're aware that you're hypnotizing yourself? How does that work? That's <laughs> not to think about. <laughs> Literally, like as as Rahul was saying, like this section of Nightfall, uh, the Nightfall saga, I should say, um, I've taken the least notes, and the one note <laughs> I have against Macross's name is this is all ridiculous. <laughs> The one note that I have against Macross's name is he, <laughs> we get an entire quarter of a page dedicated to him pulling on his pants and they go snapped. <laughs> <laughs> page 13 of that issue, bottom right corner. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. The, the notes I have about Macross are that he's basically like a mirror because he's all shiny and everything and and like you could look at it deep you could be trying to be deep about it and you could be like oh well it's it, you know jean paul looking in the mirror kind of thing seeing himself in in macross in this like self-hypnosis thing and whatever and uh, i think this is the first time as well that jean paul lets someone die hmm. i believe um because he just basically ducks a bullet and just like i mean batman would have got the guy out of the way yeah like Bruce would have got the guy out of the way, but John Paul just just lets the bullet go into this this mafioso type, um, and like he just lets it happen and doesn't even have a second thought or a regret about it, you know. Hmm. Um, and then he goes after Macross. And, and I, I, um, I get your point about him being a mirror. Like he's literally a mirror. He's also a mirror to John Paul's um, version of Batman. Yeah, and like he has the same, he has a similar sort of mantra. He's like repeating a mantra to himself the entire time. But like, what does it, what does it mean? What does it add up to? What is it? What are they trying to say with it? They just, they just have a dude who's this, like a foil to him, and then it ends. I, I was gonna, I was gonna be like really, I was gonna say like it means nothing. It adds up to nothing. This, this is all pointless. But it I'll tell you exactly like what it, it means. It, it means that only the phoenix survives the chaos. <laughs> uh, it it but, means that his he, his vision is clear. He's focused, and his eyes will see the glory. <laughs> That's what it means. It, it does feel like they were trying to do something thematic at the beginning of this like tiny little mini arc, but it's like it, it's like they just gave up and were just like, no, just give him the shooty shooty violence. That's what they're here for. <laughs> and boy, does Macross bring the shooty shooty violence. <laughs> and then um, the uh, where he solves the case for um, Commissioner Gordon, where he's like, well, it could be one of three things. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Batman, give me your sage advice on this as the greatest detective on Earth. Uh, you know, it could be anything, really. It could be this, could be that, could be a little of that. Bye. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just like... Yeah. But yeah, you've got this like super reflective um, space action figure called Mechros, sort of like running around Gotham. Um, and he's like the first kind of... like fully paid mercenary that you mercenary because the tallyman the tallyman's a merc but he's not really he's got he's got another motive as well whereas mecross is like purely about the money like there's nothing fueling him about apart from his dumb self-hypnosis and <laughs> and the money yeah, there's not, like, not that much money that can be made from roller derby yeah exactly <laughs> and then like um when you move on from mecross you are you're back to the Wild West dudes again. Yeah, yeah this is the this I, is the train the train robbery. So we've already discussed this. This is where the train robbery comes up, and um, I, I still can't believe that John Paul is not Marv's Batman because that is one of the uh, notes that I took when I was watching him like 
dart around the Gotham transit system on the uh, on the bat train, like memorizing all the routes and everything else. <laughs> In in the same way that a, a Batman fan can look at Jean-Paul and say he's disrespecting the mantle of the bat, I can sit here as a train driver and say he's disrespecting the the the, the, the mode of transportation that is on rails. It's it's no everything that you thought I would like about this section is the the very reasons that I dislike it. No, no, he's disrespecting. Oh, I, I, I knew I, I knew you'd hate it. I was just saying that you would like it to try and wind you up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't bite you didn't take the bait i was sending you whatsapps of it and you didn't take the bait <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a panel here where he's like he regrets not hitting them at ramming speed and i'm like what a dick yeah <laughs> ramming speed what is this <laughs> the uss enterprise does that have ramming speed the i know you're going to introduce it but the section after this had me confused for such a long time and you, the... i'll let you do your introduction so this is the Catwoman bit, right? No, no, no. The next no. bit straight after that is the the Mister Freeze bit. Oh like yeah, yeah. So it's like the Mister Freeze one shot. Yeah. And for I, the I always forget time, about this because it's so like because it's it's not. It looks like Amygdala on the cover. That's the thing. It looks like Amygdala <laughs> on the cover, and throughout the entire issue, he's acting like he's a cold Zaz. And I'm like, who is this? And then eventually, like Montoya or someone says, like, oh, he has to keep cold because he's Mister Freeze. And I'm like, Mister Freeze doesn't act like this at all, ever. What is this issue? This is madness. This is all insane. Yeah, it, it feels highly out of character for Victor Freeze. But I think the point is that he's woken up and he's disorientated. He's definitely disorientated because there's one panel yeah. where he's like talking like a pirate wielding a pizza cutter. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the weirdest issue, I swear. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's 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 a it's it's a bad issue, um, but like I mean, it's the Christmas issue as well. <laughs> it's called Cold Cases. It's um, January nineteen ninety four. This is uh, cover dated. So, like I mean, and and it's Christmas when we when we uh, first open the comic. The first thing we see is Gotham celebrating Christmas. But you and know, um, being addicted to the spirit of Christmas. Yeah, he's all he's all bar humbug about it the gaudy display only serves to make the shadows away from the hustling throngs deeper <laughs> and um you know he sees someone get robbed and he does nothing <laughs> absolutely yeah. nothing he Don't like learn a valuable lesson yeah <laughs> come on man at least try <laughs> <laughs> at least try to be batman like uh, if it was bruce nothing would be beneath bruce but this is john paul we're talking about you know He's on a crusade to clean up Gotham, but he can't be bothered to stop two guys robbing presents off shoppers. I do have a question about that, because uh, what's at the top of that panel? The, the stape of snowman? <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're oh, that! Oh, yeah! object at the top of the panel. Yeah. What? What is that? <laughs> wait, wait, the, the, that... on the first page? No, no, no if you go to the page where... Getting... After the Christmas page, you go to the next page where um, he's watching it happen in the streets, and then like oh. it's, almost, <laughs> it's almost like we're we're on a view from Macross's undercarriage. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're on scrotum vision. I, I think I think uh, I think Mister Freeze might be uh, mugging the muggers, but just not in the exact same way. <laughs> this time, he's not wearing any pants. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I looked at it and, and, you know, me being me, innocent of mine most of the time, I'm like, oh, do you mean the giant snowman? No, not that panel. <laughs> <laughs> the other giant snowman. But it's not even a thing of like, oh, that looks phallic. It's like, what is it? 
Yeah, what's this supposed to actually be? Perspective yeah. of what it's meant to be. I, I, you know what? Like, I'm looking at the previous panel, and I'm looking at everything around them, and I'm like, what is that a close-up of? Is it a present falling? What was the present that <laughs> was just wrapped really loosely? What is what is going on? Yeah, I cannot for the life of me work out what that is. It looks like it's trying to be the bottom of a shoe. I was going to say it's the tip of someone's shoe as they're running away over the. But camera, it's not but... because their feet are. There's only wait. <laughs> it is. It might it's be. the tip of someone's boot. There's three <laughs> guys in the previous panel. There's three. There's three muggers. That's 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 very unfortunate. <laughs> so, yeah, that's terrible from a perspective and art thing. Yeah, yeah. That it looks like a Christmas card. <laughs> <laughs> it's the tip of someone's boot. It's the tip, tip of someone something. Yeah, <laughs> it's a gift for somebody. Yeah. But it's only a petty crime. It's it is unpleasant, and he dislikes it. But it's not worth exposing himself to the light. The couple will return to their home in one of Gotham's bedroom communities. Well, he won't be exposing himself until the next story. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, we're done with... Um... Yeah, so so Mr. Freeze turns up in the river like a frozen caveman and then behaves like a frozen caveman um, after he melts himself out of the autopsy room. And it's just, yeah, it's... Um... I think this is where Montoya realizes that she's not dealing with the same Batman. Hmm. But also there's a weird thing in here um, where it's like caseloads are down over the holidays. Like what? <laughs> <Are you awesome>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Surely caseloads are higher over the yeah, holidays. I expect them to be triple. Yeah. Ah. Everyone's in a costume and stuff. Like how many bat evil Santas are you going to get? <laughs> well, Anyway, moving on from there, it's Catwoman and the Planeteers. Yeah. <laughs> so, basically, our world is in peril and Gaia, the spirit of the Earth, can no longer take the uh, senseless destruction. So, she employs Catwoman and uh, five special young people, and I think one of them is called Dweezil. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like Michelangelo, but not. Um, <laughs> and it's just like... Yeah, it basically, um, Catwoman's like all eco warrior in this, and uh, she's trying to stop them from releasing uh, some kind of poisonous, toxic gas to kill a load of wildlife in the rainforest so they can develop the land. It's pretty, pretty one note as far as that stuff goes. Um, and uh, one of Catwoman's head in the clouds friends develops the toxin without realizing he developed the toxin because he's just so cloud head in the clouds and only ever thinks about science. Um, and even forgets where he parks. Um, and it's just, um, yeah. So Batman is, gets involved in this because he catches them trying to mug this scientist for his notes so that they can get the, uh, the formula for the, um, for the toxin because these big wigs want the formula, but they kind of don't want it to give it to them because they know what they're going to use it for. Um, and it's all very, you know, like corporate espionage meets eco-terrorism. Um, Batman gets the wrong end of the stick because he starts to think that Catwoman is in on the whole thing 
that Catwoman would would basically that he uncovers a plot to poison these execs in this building, which oh well, let it happen. You should have let it happen. Uh, but, um, but he thinks that Catwoman's in on the plot to do this, and um, he decides that Catwoman's a bad guy and he tries to stop Catwoman. But what he actually doesn't realize is that Catwoman is friend, not foe and has helped Bruce more times than hindered him. Uh, and, um, that she was actually trying to do the same thing he was trying to do. Um, so I will let Marv open with this. So Marv thoughts on the Catwoman section. Thoughts on the Catwoman section. Well, if this comic was written in 2021, it would be a very deep metatextual uh, piece um, chronicling Jean-Paul's thought processes. Um, He would start off simping for Catwoman. He would be (laughs) a a tier three sub on her Twitch stream. Um, And then then he would uh, go full insult when he realizes that he can't get any of that sweet, sweet uh, tail, I guess. Um, when all of his sticky, disgusting, horribly hard-to-read dream descriptions have passed, oh. and he's like, well, if I can't fuck her, I guess I'll put her in jail. And then he <laughs> goes from, from a simp to an incel, and then he fully goes to a man going his own way when he decides he's just going to beat the shit out of her instead. Like This is just such a weird section. As a Catwoman it comic, is. Yeah. it's amazing. It's great. You know, you get yeah. to see the uh, the... the the animal loving side of Catwoman tied with yes. the, uh, you know, I'm a master thief, so I'm going to use my skills to try and help people. And I love the, um, the, the, the plot point of like, um, mistake, not mistaken identity, people uh, misconstruing her intentions. Um, and then you've got the, the best, the, the apex of that is the fact that like Batman is like, this bitch is a criminal and she needs to be taken down. And the chief of police, the commissioner is like, hold on a minute, you know, she, I know her. She's not like this. I mean, she's bad, but she's not bad, bad. Like, give her a second. Yeah, she doesn't kill people. <laughs> she just every, things. Every, like, everyone, everyone in this section is really interesting, apart from Batman, which is really bad in a Batman comic. Everyone is interesting, including Catwoman's cat collection. Yeah, I mean, Catwoman's cats get to be part of the story. It's, it's great. It's great. Her flat would not look like that if she had that many cats. I'm telling you that. I've only, <laughs> I've only got two. <laughs> There's no way on earth. Yeah, but you're not Catman. No, <laughs> not that you know of, Leon. You don't know what he does when the sun goes down. Yeah, but he clearly can't keep his two cats. So he's definitely not the Catman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Marvin, yeah, I just mean... to add to what you said, like I don't think I could put that any any better than the way you just did. But I think it's really telling that the first issue cover for this run has Catwoman front and center holding a barrel labeled "toxic." <laughs> What, like oh, Jean-Paul's the... toxic behavior? <laughs> oh, the covers, though. Because, like, that first cover is really great. And then, like, there's a, there's a, the cover for Batman 503 is a travesty. Catwoman looks horrendous on that cover. Oh, God, Just, yeah. It's yeah. the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> Yeah, the, the expression on her face is just really off. And then Batman in the background looks like a bottle cap. Like, you know the yeah. old-style, like, 90s yeah, yeah. Bottle, like, milk bottle caps? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one you tread your fingers on. He, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he does. But then, but then the, the the next cover just, it completely redeems itself because it's, you know, it's it's Jim Ballant doing what Jim Ballant does, which is really cool uh, Catwoman covers. <laughs> yeah, and, and that one looks really good. I like that one. But, I mean, like, the other thing as well about the cover with Toxic is 
you've got the barrel with toxic written on it and then you've got batman like asbat looming in the background <laughs> like big and large in the clouds after her he's trying to grab her like come back with my toxic that's my yeah. toxic <laughs> that's that's my horrible sexy dream <laughs> horrifically horrible sexy dream. Ugh. it was it was shameful <laughs> the, the fact that he the, the the monster that he is describes his own dream as shameful it's just, ugh. Yeah, like you know when they're like, "Oh, never show your monster," because the human imagination can do so much worse. It's like yeah. ha- having him not describe the dream, but just call his own dream shameful. I'm like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if, like, yeah, it's it's bad. Like those pages are awful. I remember sending them to you, and I think I sent you a a gif of someone making gag noises. <laughs> um, but like, I was just so like when I read it, I was just like. Bleh! Like, oh my God, this is horrible. And I read it aloud to Sophie as well. And Sophie was just like, oh my God, <laughs> ew, <laughs> kind of thing. And it is, it is like, it is toxic masculinity gone wild. It really is. And it's like just that little bit where he's talking about that stuff in, in his dreams and everything. And like, you, you perfectly described it when you said that he went from like, you know, str- tw- Twitch sub to whatever and just became a stalker. Like, you've pretty much described it in full perfectly there. Um, <laughs> One of the other notes I've got from this is because it's got one of my favourite panels in it, which is where they describe what Batman looks like on the artist rendition from the police. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. I love that panel. Batman, this like Terminator skull face and the shoulder cannon. And he does actually, he's, he looks like a, a, a Marvel X-Men character in that panel. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he looks like he uh, could be shoulder to shoulder with a mega red or something. Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> or onslaught or something. Just like he uh He's got like the, the you know, like all the little bits, the useless buckle on the shoulder. I remember being a kid and I remember trying to draw characters like that because I would look at comics like this. And like I got into the into the habit of putting like all the little like like pointless buckles and like useless locks and catches on stuff and just like really spending time on details that made no sense on costumes (laughs) and when i when i look back at it now like like as an as you know like amateur doodles that i do sometimes and stuff when i look back on it when i'm like just drawing stuff like this i'm thinking like I'm, i'm now doing things from a practicality point of view where i'm thinking well if this guy was trying to move around in this stuff like <laughs> how you know i mean yeah it looks cool and it looks jazz and it makes a really great action figure but no like mm. you just the impracticality of it and again that's like a meta dig at yeah. this whole asbat thing like it is it really is and a meta dig at extreme comics um so yeah uh, the end it ends with sort of like they kind of reconcile their he reconciles the fact that catwoman's not actually the bad guy by the end of it and it comes to a head and um he works with her and then goes back to the cave to do some more stuff. <laughs> Releases tensions. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also to mention Catwoman adds herself to the list of people in this, uh, in this collection that are like, Oh no, you're not, you're not my Batman. You're not the person. Because I- he smells wrong. <laughs> well, he fights wrong. He smells wrong. He hasn't got the right pheromones. It's all, it's all out of whack. When she he's says not- he hasn't got the right pheromones, what she really means is that's not Bruce's bo. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
You have the smell of a man who's never spoken to a woman before. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's yeah. Ba- basically, there's a, there's one iteration of the costume we never got to see, and that was the fedora. <laughs> I, I do want to add, like, I, I think because this is the punctuating issue of the first volume, mm. and I, I don't want to say the word redeem because uh, it definitely doesn't doesn't redeem the entire book, and it doesn't redeem this particular set of you know small series of stories with Catwoman. But I think it is really effective at proving that Jean Paul isn't worthy of the mantle. Like, mm. it's a really good punctuation that he's not good enough to be Batman. Like, all his pure strength of beating Bane alone isn't enough. And, like, I think it's the beginning of where he starts to recognise, like, I need to be doing more. Like, all the stuff that he was rejecting um, of the methods that Bruce uses, I think this is the turning point where he starts to realise, actually, maybe he's got... Maybe there's something to this, you know, like, actually doing the detective work that he's been brushing off this entire book. And I think that's an interesting point to leave that book on. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of like learns the value of the detective work in the end, doesn't he? Hmm. Um, but then we're into kind of like um, book two now. We're into volume two of the Crusade, and uh, this opens with a pretty cool cover with some classic. Um, this is Detective Comics six seven one, um, and this is a a pretty awesome cover with some uh, like really cool renditions of classic movie monsters. Like the hammer, uh, hammer horror monsters on the front cover and things, and I, I really like this cover actually. Uh, you've got you've got Batman looking pretty, like vampiric actually, um, protecting the screaming woman from Frankenstein, the Mummy, and the Wolfman. Um, and this is this is kind of where the Joker stuff really starts to begin, isn't it? Mm. Uh, and then you, you like. There's some really great artwork in these in these pages as well because this is Graham Nolan again, so this is like a really good section. And I love the Joker's look in this, like this movie exec thing going on with the the ponytail and the sunglasses, and you know he's got the, the he's got the um, the director's chair with Jay Kerr written yeah. on the back, and uh, I'm I'm into this section because I love this uh, this whole Joker thing and the, the like. The, the commentary here on, on Hollywood at the time and everything else. And, and, you know, like these, these heartless, um, and like cutthroat execs that will do deals with anything or anyone, as long as they know it's going to make money and all that stuff. And I, I just think this is pretty brilliant. And, um, I, I do like this Joker scheme. This is probably one of my favorite Joker schemes. Mm. Um, again, um, we've got Azrael getting, a little bit toxic uh, with his when he rescues the uh, the college girl. Oh God, yeah, I, I almost yeah. forgot to mention that as well. Yeah. This is this is him again being you know he he can he's incapable of interacting with anyone female and not just descending into this, the vilest thoughts. The exactly thoughts. yeah, because he does it again. He stalks her. He stalks her back to her campus. He's like, he tells himself he's going there to protect her, not to see her and smell her again or something. It's like, yeah. fuck off, man. <laughs> and this is like I, everything that's wrong with John Paul. Like, really? Like, going back to like reading Nightfall and Night's End, like, to me, John Paul was always like Batman's venom almost. Like, it's like, oh, it's like the dark reflection of Batman that he has to defeat to sort of reclaim his rightful place on the throne and have the mantle of the bat. Reading the Crusade, I'm like, no, he's just disgusting. He's an awful, awful person. <laughs> this is horrible. <laughs> and you can't blame it all on St. Damas. 
No, you can blame almost none of it on him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it's usually like followed after. Like, there's a bit where it's like the blood rush and thunder of the system dies away, leaving a vague pain at his temples. His thoughts are replaced by feelings of of what? <laughs> <laughs> but he needs the system to keep him in check. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the system is keeping the women of Gotham safe. <laughs> the system's keeping the blood in the right parts of his body. Like... <laughs> oh man, yeah. Oh, jeez, I'm so glad that he gets it handed to him in Night's End. I really am. Yeah. But anyway, other than like the the you know General John Paul being creepy, um. There's uh, there's some really cool parts in here with him, like with the Joker's movie scheme and the Joker trying to film it, but then getting mega frustrated when none of it goes as he wants it to go because it's not the right Batman. Um, and um, we we get to see him take on Leatherface, RoboCop, uh, <laughs> the Terminator, um, all these different movie villains. Um, as he kind of like makes his way through this uh, this this little scheme, this game that the Joker set up for him, um, it culminates when he dresses um, again. He the, the, this uh, this college girl that, that Azrael rescues gets dre- he dresses her as Robin and chucks her from a window to force Azrael to save um, to force Azrael to save her to get the shot basically, but then like it didn't go as he wanted it to go. He's like, that's not how I wrote the screenplay. <laughs> um, and then he just leaves her there and tells someone to call 911. <laughs> and then goes on after the Joker. Um, and like, I love this whole thing where he's, the, the Joker's trying to negotiate more money. Um, and he's like, I'll shoot Calvin. And he's like, the guy's like, I don't care. You know, like he's like this is like this whole this toxic music movie exec thing where he's just like I don't care about any of these guys. He doesn't care until the guns pointed at him, and I love that bit. I mean, Leon, like your thoughts on this will be pretty interesting. Being the movie guy, like, what do you what do you think about the whole commentary here with its like commentary on like the state of Hollywood and everything else? What- well, I think it's good because I don't think it's mega heavy handed, and I think that it's uh, well, it, it, in I mean, it is. It's an early nineties comic book, but like, um, <laughs> yeah. It's I know it's, it's it's kind of fun and like I think in ways it does the thing that I've been complaining about this episode um, that I've missed I should say where it's like I feel like this gets to have its cake and eat it in the sense that it gets to be this like funny pastiche where you've got uh, you're sending up like Hollywood but you also can comment on like the general media culture at the time but then also it it weaves into uh jean-paul's uh descent you could call it of being like this imposter batman trying to be like um appeal to this new extreme world mm. and um I, I feel like it, it marries all those different themes and con um uh, I guess context is, is, uh, works in that scenario. Uh, it marries all of them together in a way that I find satisfying, more than it just being a fun Joker scheme, which it is. But I think that on other levels it works, and um, yeah, it helps like it's movie stuff, which is which I'm always going to enjoy, especially seeing uh, Siskel and Eber 
Uh, but it, it, it's uh, like what happens to them is kind of subversive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I did like how it, it is kind of. It, it kind of reminds me of like the fun stuff, uh, or like the stuff that I enjoyed from comics of this period, mm. where it's less mm. about uh, stupid, um, like badly designed vehicles, um, and like um, henchmen called. Drogon and Roxon, stupid names like that, and instead it's focused on sort of giving you a snapshot of the area and a lot of the um, sort of the biting sort of commentary that we you'd get from like your dark horses and and stuff at, at this time. Hmm. Like it, um, yeah, has that like fresh energy where you're reading these as kids. Well, we were at that time. Uh, like these types of comics so when you do get something that is sort of punching a bit higher and you're like oh wow this is different like it has that that little bit of vertigo doesn't it that little vertigo twinkle in places and it's like that that stuff uh is always uh catnip to me and um it'll it's almost like they take um by framing everything like this they get to step back a little and um dig into some of the more general meaning around this saga, uh, which I think is quite cool. Um, well, well, like I said, getting to have your cake and eat it and have uh, Batman get hit in the face of a, a, a cream pie. <laughs> a drugged cream pie. <laughs> <laughs> I love how it just kind of like flashes through all the different genres and all the different um, like film styles and things as he's going from set to set. Like mm. I love that bit at the end there, where it's coming to the end of the scheme, and I love the movie poster as well—the death of the Batman oh, movie poster. The movie yeah, poster might so be good. my favorite panel in this entire collection. That that poster's so good. <laughs> yeah, it is brilliant. Oh, yeah, I also love the the few panels we get of Joker realizing that it's not his Batman, mm. and like culminating in it's not bloody him. It's <laughs> those are really good. Yeah. <laughs> He, he, he's like, I couldn't let the, I can't let these mooks kill you. I would have to kill you, but you're not the right Batman. You just ruined the whole thing by not being the correct Batman. And he realizes it when he's about to drown um, the girl again, who turns out to be a paid, um, a paid actor, right? paid actor anyway. Yeah. I've got a question with this because like that is the sort of cliffhanger where you get the cool sort of casablanca type thing. Like, what's the deal with the cover of 673? And particularly the woman stuck inside the thing. What is up? Why does she look so weird? I don't know. Odd. Like, her head is proportioned in a way that it looks like it should be a perspective thing. But then everything from her navel downwards the perspective is normal, so it just looks yeah. like she's got a shrunken head. <laughs> but it, it also doesn't help that Batman in front of her looks really weirdly proportioned as well, because like, his shoulder is twice the size of his head. This, and, like, that should also yeah. be a perspective thing, and it just doesn't well, work, right? As, 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 as positive as we are about Kelly Jones's stuff, or have been, <laughs> this, is, this is where I start to have problems with Kelly Jones's artwork. Like, because sometimes he's very hit. Sometimes he's hit, and sometimes he's miss. And on this cover, he's a he's, he's a miss. definite miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, why is Batman pulling the plug on the floor that's not covered in water? Like, what what does that mean? What, it's it's not a plug. He's, he's chained to the ground. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I read it as a bath plug. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> You're going down the drain, Joker. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> can we can we just address like something like an overarching issue that is that is present in these comics, and that's because they 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 seem to take different forms. Like sometimes it looks like maybe he's got his fist inside a golden globe at the end of a glove, and he's pumping like a a, a joystick thing to make the claws open and close. And then sometimes it's like his fingers are actually in there controlling it. But how can his fingers be in there? How can they be made of metal and yet not rigid? (laughs) And then sometimes you can see the individual links. And then sometimes his fingers look like they're in such weird positions that his hand would have to be completely malformed to fit (laughs) inside. I think my favorite of all of those choices, because they, depending on who's drawing the gauntlets, like you said, there's so many different ways that they render his hands and fingers. I like the ones where it looks like his hands are just actual molten metal that he's controlling, where there's yeah. no links at all. And he's just, it looks like he's just got gloves that have sharp tips on the end. And I'm like, from reading a comic and looking at it visually, that makes the most sense to me. But for what the gauntlets are trying to do, it, um, it has to be the ones where it's like got individually segmented links on all exactly. of his Exactly. Yeah, like those those um, rings you can get. Yes, exactly. That, goth, that goths wear, yeah. I've always wanted one. I could never put yeah. it on. <laughs> they always look cool. Mm. Um, but like, I I didn't, did I send you guys like, because I was doing, I went through um, when I was reading this and I was doing like quick doodles of things that didn't make sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And I sent you guys a drawing of his hand <laughs> <laughs> with all his wobbly fingers, like... This is how his hand would have to look to fit inside this particular gauntlet. Like, and that's, that's generally how I feel about it. Sometimes it kind of like pulls me out of it a little bit, but yeah. So, I mean, we're still in the first, the first iteration of the suit as well, aren't we? We haven't changed the suit since. Hmm. Yeah. Um, just quickly as well, like Ray, I need to get your thoughts on the movie exec Joker, uh, a director Joker, because I'm, I'm pretty sure like you would have enjoyed this section, right? Yeah, I mean, I got—I don't have a lot more to add. I just—I like his—I <laughs> just like his style. I like the uh, like the, the douchebag ponytail and everything. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I like, like that. We um, get like just gurning Joker face as well. Like, like again, those those few panels where he ha- he comes to realize what's going on and like it's not his Batman. Just the the way it zooms in yeah. on his eye and just how pissed off he looks. It, yeah, it works really well. And again, it's like a brassier, more optimistic scheme that's not going to work because we're pitting it, it like it's completely juxtaposed in tone against this dark gritty Batman that would be more at home in a spawn comic. Mm. I do um, think it's disappointing that it, mm. again, it's, it doesn't become anything more. It's just yeah. like another interlude in how uh, people are disappointed in like just the various other people who exist in Gotham or, you know, have their schemes in Gotham are yeah. disappointed or have a realization about Jean-Paul not being Batman. And yeah. then it, it ends and it's just Joker escaping in an ambulance again. Like it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. Mm. And uh, maybe that's just my expectation of the, of having like long running stories, but it's just, it felt like another punctuation mark and it was, it felt very slight at the end of it, even though the content itself was interesting. But it doesn't go the way that the Joker expects it to go, does it? Because he's like, oh, well, you've caught me. Now you're just going to send me back to Arkham and they're just going to hop me up on something and leave me. And he's just like, nope. And he just busts his arm in three places. Well, not um, even busts his arm in three places. Busts both of his arms at the elbows. Yeah. And then he and then he gets... Um, he, he, before he can do any more, he's, about to, he's probably about to fill in with shurikens, but before he can do any more, he gets stopped by... Um, uh, Bullock hmm. and co the GCPD um, and 
he, he just basically like it, it's like this whole realization that they now realize that this ain't this ain't the same Batman. There's something different about him. I love how Bullock is completely on board with it all as well. Like Bullock doesn't care. Bullock's like, yeah, well, then maybe this is what Gotham needs. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, him, him and the mayor are just cheering, cheering from the sidelines. Yeah. In terms of the scheme, though, I do like that um, this type of Joker scheme is like it feels like. I mean, it's not obviously if you count the uh, the, the the very first, like the first iterate, iteration of the Joker is a cold blooded murderer. But if you go from like comics code Joker to this Joker doing the film schemes and then getting his arms busted by like Azrael, and then you go on to like Death of the Family and end, Batman Endgame, it's like this is like a nice in between Joker scheme, somewhere between the jovial like funny sixties yeah. Joker and like I've ripped my own face off and I'm going to kill all of your children, Joker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to do a an episode a, like sideline, Marv. I'd love to do some episodes with you about like the uh, the the new Fifty Two Batman as well, because <laughs> I think I think you you enjoy those as much as I do, right? I do. Like I haven't sat down and read the full run as it is. Like I I mm. think I read um, Death of the Family and then Endgame and then went back to Court of Owls. So like I've done it piecemeal, not in order, but I've enjoyed everything that I've seen of it. Yeah. I, I think it's a fantastic run. I love it. But um, another conversation for another time, because right now we're knee deep in the quest. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Sorry. And then. Sorry. Uh, I just yes. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's next? It's uh, it's Rosemary's baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's next. It's uh, Azrael deals with human trafficking as Azrael does. Um, which is beating on people to save her, but then like not really being, having any sympathy at all. It's like, he's just out for the violence. Like he's doing things. Um, and the art, it's that artwork again. It's the same artist that did the tally man. Um, it's, uh, it's Vince Girano. And it's that, that same kind of exaggerated spiky art. Uh, with lots of um, lots of angles and lots of like uh, weird kind of like amorphous shadowy forms and things like that, which um, I mean, we get to see it here. Like um, there's a point where the Batman looks like a tribal tattoo. <laughs> I think it's on like the, the third, fourth page in. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> just, everyone, just... everyone sort of looks like they're made out of smoke and coat hangers. Yeah, but Batman just looks like a bad tribal tat. Yeah. Uh, it's just completely black with all these like spindly lines coming off him and whatever. And it's just, yeah. Um, and he's just, you know, the, the whole story of her having to sell her child to get the money, to get her husband's bail, to then realise her husband has already been executed, to then take the money to Gotham to try and get the kid back. Um, and like the way that Azrael's dealing with this, like he's just completely ignoring the human side of it. Like he has no sympathy whatsoever. And I think this is kind of like to show that he's like a new cold edged Batman. Um, and you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how much I like this. I, I, I didn't think, I don't think I really enjoyed this, this section. It's like, uh, Batman dealing with the, the human trafficking stuff. It's not, it, it wasn't my thing. Um, because he, he put like, he puts lives in danger without realizing. Um, and then all of a sudden he kind of wakes up from it and realizes 
you know, wow, this car full of babies is about to crash into this fuel tanker. But he doesn't do much to stop it. He just, op- you know, he just he just has to hope. We get that one panel, though, where his eyes kind of widen. He's like, oh, my gosh. I mean, like what we're supposed to take out of this is that he he grew up without a mother and never knew his mum. And he's supposed to be a little bit like maybe gets a bit sentimental about helping Rosemary and solving this whole thing because, you know, he never knew his mother kind of thing. Um, and he doesn't know a lot about his own past, but at the same time, it just, it all gets lost in the fact that he seems to have, like, he just seems to revel in the violence too much. Hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, we'll go for Rahul first this time. I mean, uh, again, this is one that I sort of glossed over because I wasn't enjoying it, but really it's just... I got notes saying, oh, great, another immigrant story where they don't fully understand the tragedies that they're trading in. Like, it's just, mm. it's, a, it's a story full of cliches that I just don't yeah. enjoy. Um, yeah. And, like, also a really blunt and misunderstanding way of showing the difficulty of, like, infertility and things like that. It's just, it's trading in too many, uh, like, grimdark ideas that they don't have the empathy to, you know, sell it well. And whether that's a failing of the writers in general or a failing of how they're trying to express Jean-Paul's interpretation of events, like, I feel like I don't really care what the difference is. To me, it's just a failure of the book or the failure yeah. of those few issues. Um, and then it all culminates uh, where it, in a few pages where he, like, he, be- he begins to uh, realise the failings of the system where he starts to stop blaming the system. But then the next thing he immediately does after realizing that, oh, I need to stop blaming the system is shit. I'm just going to make a new rocket launcher for my arms. And like, again, he learns nothing from it. It's just a tragedy that he has to deal with. And then again, nothing that interesting or in depth happens to his character. And I don't know, disappointing sort of very slight few issues from my point of view. Um, Leon thoughts. I don't want to see Asbat holding a baby with those claws again. Right? <laughs> yeah. God. It's horrible, isn't it? It's so small and fragile as I hold it between my set of knives. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. He's like, he's holding this thing with a set of like, like super sharp Japanese kitchen knives. Like. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, oh. I kind of have a lot of the same feelings that, that Rahul's expressed where it's like, um, I think that like there's too much of the sort of semi rip from the headlines nineties like feel to it, where it's like um uh, a lot of the thing is like often it's it's portrayed like a white savior thing you'd get in a lot of movies where it's like I'm gonna go to the ghetto and teach uh, black and brown kids how to do blah 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 and it's like hmm. they're kind of actualizing their pain is kind of actualizing the main uh like character instead of really meaningfully investigating that that type of thing and it's not like i'm trying to be like well blah, 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 like uh, it's problematic it's more just a case of i think there's so much interesting stuff to mine in this even if they still attacked it from a sort of blunt 90s way i think you could still have like an, an interesting story here if you if you either portrayed Jean-Paul's indifference or you um, were more effective in sort of portraying the difficulties of this sort of uh, 
like uh, not even morally grey, but it's like people who are lot sort of left by the sidelines type thing. Um, like I, I think there's a really interesting point to make here, but it just becomes sort of semi tragedy porn in a way. Yeah, uh, and, it, and it doesn't do anything cool because I guess more my point is saying that. Uh, not that, oh, you shouldn't even attempt to, to a story that has to do with immigration. I think you can do a lot of interesting stuff there. And even in, like, the time period that this was made, there's still, like, a hokey version of this that is still kind of more effective. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like even, this doesn't even get the hokey version. It's just kind of, uh, like, uh, window dressing, which mm. is sad because I think that uh, you, I think that there's an interesting, a more interesting story in in there than what they end up with, especially with like Jean Paul and his like mother issues and stuff. I think that the kind of trading cliches and and, and the, the dividend of that isn't that good. Is this not like a symptom of um, the? Like the, the the extreme comics thing, like Edge for Edge's sake, again, like this is this is just how things seemed to be back then. Um, like they would just do things for the sake of being edgy and for the sake of trying to be, you know, to sell comics on on this like this misery porn shock factor thing. Um, because this is what people wanted. They wanted these dark, edgy stories and things like that. But it's just it just feels so like even taking that into account and looking back on it, it's like you say, it just feels so unnecessary. Some of it, it's just, it really is. Um, and it's, it's, it, yes, it's a symptom of the times in, in regards to that sort of stuff, because you got a lot of this in the nineties, I think, but also it's just, no, not my thing, but it's okay. It gets better again because this is where it starts to ramp up towards the end of the book. Um, and we get like the sort of the big turning point moment where John Paul just completely loses the plot. Because what we're into now, following this, um, is the abattoir stuff. Because this is where we start to see abattoir pop up, which is Marv's favourite, because this is what Marv came to the party for. Literally the whole reason that I picked up this book. <laughs> yes. We do quickly get the, the stupid Corrosive Man um, issues, right? Yeah. And I do just want to point out one little... I don't want to spend too much time on it. I've already said that I was intrigued by the idea of Corrosive Man, blah, blah, blah. But there is a couple of panels where it's like, this will slow you down. And then he spits a bunch of acid, which is what we know about Corrosive Man. And Jean-Paul's like, <gasps> acid! <laughs> like, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. Like, yeah, of course. Like, shit, Jean, what else could it be? He's Corrosive Man. <laughs> His whole deal is spitting this is, acid. <laughs> this is also where we get introduced to Joe Public. <laughs> I'm not actually asking. I don't want to know. I don't have <laughs> time to it. But like, yeah, who the fuck is that? Yeah, guy? he's. Um... I'm not asking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the for the benefit of the listener. Okay. <laughs> he's a high school um, sports coach who tries to um, attempts to raid the offices of a local drug kingpin because. Um, he it's like one of his um one of his students was killed at a party by drugs by bad ecstasy or something uh and he's just like you know what i'm gonna i, I i'm gonna do something about this and take matters into my own hands so he tries to raid um 
he's a gym teacher, tries to raid this, uh, this drug kingpin. He just, dis- um, he distracts Batman from the case. Uh, the criminal gets away. Um, later that night, he's attacked by an alien parasite called Demir, who activates his metagene while feeding on his spinal fluids. And, uh, instead of killing him, it just turns him into Joe Public. <laughs> so, yeah, um, this is where we're starting to see these sorts of characters turn up because in the similar vein to this, we get a character called Ballistic. Um, you <sighs> <laughs> can hear Marv, Marv's audible sighs. <laughs> So, uh, Ballistic, if I can uh, just find my notes on Ballistic here, because I've got extensive notes on Ballistic. So, in a similar vein, basically, this is all happening at the same time. So, we get Abattoir turns up and um, starts to make waves in Gotham again, because he's going after a couple of his surviving family members. Um, The police are onto it. John Paul's on the case. Um, Abattoir ultimately gets away because John Paul makes the Bruce Wayne decision. So in this issue, the current issue we're at now, um, Abattoir turns up and um, he's hunting down his surviving family member who's a charity worker who is basically helping orphan children. Um, and he t- decides to take them on a trip and they go on the bus and Abattoir hijacks the bus uh, to try and kill this guy to feed on him because Abattoir's whole shtick is he kills his family members and then he eats them to try and absorb their souls. Um, but it's not just his family members. It's like his, his kind of like his psychoticness expands beyond that. And he will kill anyone and feed on anyone. Really. He's just a cannibal killer. Um, and, uh, he goes after this guy and he's on the school bus and, uh, it's basically Batman's chasing him down and Batman has the choice of catching abattoir or saving a bus full of kids. And Batman chooses the bus full of kids, but he hates himself for making that choice because this is John Paul. Um, he's like, I made the Bruce Wayne choice, but I hate myself for making that choice because Abattoir got away. And I should have just, I should have tried to catch Abattoir. And it, it really, really, really angers him. And then he goes home and draws a new cape. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, but um, yeah, so, so that's where we're at with that. And this is where Abattoir starts to turn up. But then along from there, um, we get the Corrosive Man episode with Joe Public. Um, and like, this is kind of like a little bit of an interlude in between. The Corrosive Man thing is an interlude that breaks up the abattoir stuff. So we're at this point where, where we're getting introduction of characters like Joe Public, which are the product of like interference of extraterrestrials feeding on spinal fluid and doing weird things to people. Um, because we've also got a character called Ballistic who is something similar um ballistic is a like how best to describe ballistic so he's a monstrous new blood who joined a a group called the blood pack uh he was a member of the gcpd tactical unit they were sent to face angon who was committing murders and the squad was killed except Mao, who was bitten by Angon and, and received massive injuries. And he was put in a body cast or something. And the bite from the monster mutated him and it activated his metagene. <laughs> he was transformed into a large man with big hair, hardened skin. Looks like a um, something out of a Deadpool comic. I was going to say, Greg, like, um, did you like accidentally switch your Batman like descriptors and start reading out an episode description for Biker Mice from Mars or something? 
<laughs> something like that yeah because this is this is where we're at right now with this stuff so if you look at you look at this character and he's got like red skin that's actually armor because he got bit by an alien so he's kind of waltzing around pretty much naked uh he's got spikes on his face he carries guns he's got that big wild spiky hair that's kind of like in a permanent mohawk no matter what he does with it uh he's got a sword on his back he's got some pretty wild looking guns with scopes on and stuff he's just he's pouches beyond pouches he's just pure pure like rob liefeld he's a rob liefeld special he really is you know what it's a testament to how terrible like some parts of this like comic is that ballistic isn't even the worst part like when ballistic comes up i'm like oh my god and then like you've got the free stooges enemies with the the axe and the <laughs> the malevolent like, maniacs you say my god you know when you know when Dennis rahul you know <laughs> you know when you you know when you were saying rahul earlier that you they were like oh like i can't remember which part of the comic but like a few enemies back you were like i was just skimming through this because i just i couldn't bring myself to care that was me during this period. I was like, oh, finally, Abattoir. Like, for years, I've wondered what everyone was referencing in Nightsend when they were like, you let Abattoir die, you let Abattoir die. So I'm like, oh, Abattoir's in the comic. Now it's going to start getting good. And you get fucking Larry Curley and Moe, and I'm like, skip, skip, skip. What is happening? Skip. Yeah, it, it, it teases you with Abattoir, and then Abattoir gets away, and then you get all this stuff. Basically, um, like when we're on to this next bit, so after after the corrosive man stuff, basically this uh, the other surviving relative of Abattoir who doesn't want Abattoir to come after him puts out a contract on Abattoir, <laughs> um, and this guy, this his um, his lawyer goes out there to organise this contract, and this is where Ballistic gets involved because he's a gun for hire, and he turns up in this bar well, and he drinks sarsaparilla. And... He's a Republican. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of work the kind of cop might do if he could? It's a bit raw, Shaggy. Yeah, and we ain't yeah. talking about being hampered by disability here, uh. no, by rules and regulations. So what are we talking about? Is like the Batman, just like that, but with firepower and a harder edge. <laughs> From what I hear of the Batman these days, a harder edge won't be easy. Didn't I say I was, I didn't say I was easy. I'm a Republican. <laughs> like that line. I mean, come on. God. Dude. Like, you know, you know, um, the, the classic thing, of, uh, get politics out of my comics. It's like, <laughs> like, I never, I never say that. I never feel that. I never think that. But there is a difference between writing uh, The Dark Knight Returns and having everything very clearly alluding to, like, um, liberal versus um conservative ideals and like leftist and 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 right-leaning ideals and like having it written in through the characters there's a difference between that and having a character turn up to a bar with a card that has bullet holes in it and saying i'm a republican it's just it's there's no nuance it's just it's it's a hammer on a pane of glass i hate it i hate it i hate it as soon as he says that it's just please like, I don't, I didn't even know what, what relevance that has. It really has no relevance to yeah. anything that happens in the story. It's just are supposed we, to be like Republicans like guns. Are we supposed to just take like this guy's like a card carry and open carry NRA, NRA shagger or something? Is that what I, I, truly to see? Think but, that, I don't know. I, I truly right. think that could only, that's the only link it could be because anything else is just dumb. 
Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So he turns up, and then also on the contract is these three stooges, the malevolent maniacs, um, who are currently seventeen blocks southeast in a dead end alley, just off the hub. Three failed musicians and convicted felons are six months into the bizarrely bitter breakup of Gotham's post-punk answer to Seattle grunge. And uh, here are the malevolent maniacs who were a band, but are now just the three stooges. And I don't, I, from their behavior, like I have no idea how they managed to pick up, let alone play an instrument. (laughs) They're just, they're just awful, awful characters. Um, I mean, I like, I like the character designs on some of them though. I think the character designs are kind of wacky. I like it in a, in a kind of like, I can imagine them as like, uh, like random Arkham inmates, maybe working for the Joker. Hmm. Like these are the type of dudes, like if they were like. Henchmen for someone who had a plan. (laughs) Yeah. Because, because like they fit the Joker's shtick as well, because they were three Stooges pastiche and they were working for the Joker. Like that would fit perfectly, wouldn't it? Yeah, you'd have the comedy ties and everything. Yeah, but they're not. The, the slapstick, and then it would go too far when the Joker just shoots one of them in the face or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but th- th- that's not what they are. They're just they're just a punk band that that are awful. I'll tell you what they are. <laughs> they're a waste of panels. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I go that far, but you know, <laughs> I might agree with that. <laughs> But anyway, like, so the whole thing gets mixed up when Batman, Ballistic and the Three Stooges come together in, in some kind of weird battle slash shootout. Um, and like, it's in a warehouse somewhere and it's just, it all gets entire, it just, just gets really messy. And then, uh, Ballistic, all Ballistic's interested in is the money. He's just like, keeps telling Batman that the money's his, the money's mine, 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 the money's mine. And yeah. And then, so we've got more and more of this stuff going on. Um, and obviously it all, it all goes wrong. And, and in the end, Batman comes out on top and he manages to, halt the whole thing robin only because robin gets involved as well though i think um i think robin turns up towards the end doesn't he does he honestly can't remember i'm tr- i'm just flicking through now because there's a panel with robin in but it doesn't feel like it has much because it's robin and huntress just pop up oh no no it's, Rob- panel. It's, it's literally just um reminding you that there are robin comics that you should be buying because it's like <laughs> one, yeah it's one that's right yeah you're right yeah i'm like it's I've got a, a note on my, yeah. No, go on, go on. I've got notes that say Robin and Huntress, and then I'm yeah. just like, but you've just reminded me, yeah. That it's just it's just a disembodied panel that just reminds you the Robin comics are out there, and you'd probably rather be reading them. <laughs> but I guess it's also alluding to like earlier where um, Azrael didn't let Robin into the uh, Batmobile because like mm. there's two seats, but he was like wishing there wasn't the second seat, but instead he lets this Republican dude in, in his car instead. Like, yeah, yeah, this this walking gunman. <laughs> um, after that, we get the Clayface stuff. Clayface 3. Let's be, let's be specific now. Uh, it, he's, he's legitimately a Clayface. <laughs> he is. In he fact, is. we've got, in fact, it's Clayface 3 and, fl- and 4 because it's Lady Clayface as well. Hmm. And they make a little clay baby. They make their own Clayface 5. Yeah, called Cassius Clay. Uh. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I like I like the fact that again they turn up and it's something again where they're after the bounty as well. Hmm. But they've been hired by Abattoir because Abattoir has their kid. So the whole the whole thing with these is that Abattoir has kidnapped Baby Clayface, and uh, he set Mommy and Daddy Clayface out to get the um the, one of his the, to get his surviving family member so that he can um so that Abattoir can kill this guy basically. Um, so Abattoir's pulling the strings on this one. Um, because these guys were just living peacefully, you know, in a cave somewhere outside of Gotham, and they weren't particularly interested anymore in being anything to do with society they had their own thing going on but then they get driven back into it is the whole sad thing because abattoir turns up and kidnaps the kid um and then like the whole thing is that they sort of get driven back into it and brought back into the fold and uh, we get this whole like face off between batman and clayface and again abattoir just you know like abattoir it, abattoir gets away with the guy in the end but they get their child back um, and I think Batman, you know, uh, John Paul handles this in his typically heavy handed way. Mm. Uh, again, no, no real sympathy or remorse or whatever. Um, not, not, not to come up in his defense, but like this, the, 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 all of the clay faces in this, they feel like, um, they feel like Superman in Batman versus Superman for me, where it's like, if you just, just took a second to be like, Someone I love is being held hostage and I need help rather than be like, I don't want to do this. Don't make me do this. I, I never like I, I wasn't yeah. part of the game and now I have to kill you. It's like, why do you have to kill me? If you explain to me why you have to kill me, we could just stop this and we I can get no your choice. baby back. <laughs> I'll tell you why they had no choice. Because otherwise there wouldn't have been a comic. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> and that is all like that's always the answer. Usually like I because yeah, I, I'm a person where. I listen to a lot of, um, like, I watch a lot of movie reviews. I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff where people will bring up nitpicks and I'll be screaming because I'm like, what, do you just want there to be no conflict and no story? Like, that's just a stupid comment to bring up. But then there are times where you're like, a competent writer could make a story happen where you don't have to have that contrivance to make it happen. Because I watch Batman versus Superman and I'm like, you could have had a story that would lead up to Batman fighting Superman that didn't hinge on... Superman not just saying, yeah. I'm a good person. I don't think you're a good person, but you're not, you know, you can be redeemed and just be like, listen, my mum's being captured. I don't know where my mum is. Uh, can you help me? Yeah. Instead, it's just like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to throw kitchen sinks at you and there's kryptonite grenades and let's just fight for the sake of fighting. Yeah, I think, whatever. I think somewhere along the line, there could have been a crusade Kai. <laughs> for want of a better way of explaining it that condenses it down and cuts a lot of this out but i think some of it is they're trying to make things contrived to buy time hmm. to sell comics and keep bruce out for longer um to make it so that they can have him missing for a whole year um some of it's them testing new stuff some of it is like just bad decisions writing wise i mean ray what what do you think of the clayface stuff i actually quite liked the, uh, like parts of this story i thought it was quite effective having like this relationship drama between these two clayfaces and again not the biggest ancillary batman villain fan so i don't know a lot of i don't know what you mean by clayface three four five or whatever i did think their relationship was interesting and i thought like Mm. Um, 
like male Clayface, I guess. Uh, his issue with like not wanting to harm anybody, but kind of needing to in order to like you know relieve his own pain and that. I thought that kind of stuff was kind of interesting. Um, again, yeah. also this one does at least intertwine with the larger story a bit more because it turns out they're being uh, like blackmailed by by Abattoir, and then they have to do that thing where they exchange they exchange villains in exchange for their kid and stuff. Like at least it does something. Yeah. Um, again, I, I wasn't. Once it's over, it's kind of over. It doesn't have mm. that much of a lasting impression. But I don't yeah. know. I thought as as villains to bring in, um, they they had more they to were do interesting. than previous ones. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think it's an interesting thing to bring them in as well as like villains that have faced previous Batman and again, you know, reacting differently to a different Batman. Um, but also the fact that these guys are so. When you, when you say like Clayface 3, 4, et cetera, what, what, what it actually is, is there is more than one Clayface. And at one point, there's a big group of Clayfaces called the Mud Pack. So short story is Basil Carlo isn't the only Clayface. There are other characters that took on the moniker Clayface because they all had some kind of peripheral exposure to, um, or, or, or something to do with the same kind of chemicals that made Basil Carlo, Basil Carlo in effect. Um, that made him Clayface kind of thing. Um, so, uh, Leon, where are you at with the Clayface stuff? Uh, I don't know. It's, I think it tries to do some interesting things, but I just overall wasn't a fan. I, um, I think that. I I do hate the confusion, uh, sorry, lack of communications to storytelling. I understand it's often a near necessary uh, uh, crutch that people fall on, but I think that it can be done way more effectively. But even besides that, I just wasn't invested in this family drama. So it ended up being... I just wanted to get to the next stuff while reading it. And I hate having that feeling because uh, I do like to uh, invest in what I'm reading at the time. But the Clayface story didn't really grab me in. And it, it, I I think it rang that bell of long running comics that I don't like where it's like, um, oh, and this and this and this. And it's like, oh, I, I just, I don't care. It's it's just too much comic booky stuff to get to this point, and um, I especially because it, I think it could have been trimmed down as well. So mm. yeah, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan, but I, I I think it attempts some stuff, and I think it it is successful in doing some of those things. But I don't like the design of the Clayface people. I'm generally not a fan of the each. Uh, sort of each progression in the story doesn't really do it for me so in the end it it kind of left me left me a little cold i quite i do quite like the designs and the i'm going to disagree with you because i quite like the designs and i quite i really like the artwork here um like i do enjoy um the art in these in this clay face section. I think it's really cool. Like I think Brett Blevins does a really nice job. And there's some really cool panels when they're fighting with the transformations. Um there's this really nice double page spread I like with Lady Clayface and uh Batman 
like where she transforms into like a serpent and like constricts around him. Um, that is a cool set of panels where they're fighting. Uh, and he has kind of like um, electric shock built uh, stuff built into the uh, costume so he can like discharge the power, which is what gets rid of it. I quite like that section. That's quite, pretty cool. Uh, and there's some nice sort of like character designs and facial work and things like that in it that I really enjoy. Um, I do, I do think the artwork in this section is very cool. And we've also had a minor redesign of the suit by now as well, by the way, just to point out that Batman's helmet is now different. It's more, more knight-like. So he's, he's gone more for the suit of armor type thing going on now, because as, as what, what you'll, as you go through, uh, the crusade and into Knight's End, like his, it gets progressively more and more like a suit of armor rather than a Batman costume. Um, yeah, leading it, up to leading up to my favorite line in Night's End. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then by the end of this Clayface section, we find out that um, like Abattoir has actually gotten away with his quarry, and he's got him rigged up in some kind of like elaborate torture trap thing, which is kind of pretty pretty imaginative, actually. Uh, where he's got weights dropping onto this dude's chest and he's on a bed of nails. And every time a weight drops, he gets pushed further onto the nails and he's just going to die slowly. And there's this really cool final panel of, of this, of this close up of Avatar's face with this maniacal laugh, which I ultimately enjoy massively. Like mm. I love that panel. Um, and I, I think the torture device is kind of, kind of interesting. Uh, and then we're on to the penguin, uh, the penguin bit, which we've already talked about, which is the penguin struggling to stay relevant. Um, Rahul, have you got any more notes to say on this section? Because this was your one of your favourites, wasn't it? This penguin one shot with penguin and Commissioner Gordon in a room together. Uh, not a lot, but I, I do. I did like this issue. I liked that it was like you know a bottle episode, and it's people that I care about talking. Like I think a lot of this book is just dialogue that I don't care about, um, or like dialogue that's just flip, or it's. Um, uh, it's, it's explaining the actions that are happening on screen and like I don't on page and I don't need that. Whereas this is an actual conversation between two people who have some history and there's some actual stakes at play. And like I just I, it was it felt like a breath of fresh air after you know the first half of this book. Um, I do like that they're both dancing around the idea about there being a new Batman. I like the idea that Penguin's afraid of just being passe and, and having having no threat to the new Batman. Um, and then seeing Gordon just finally snap when the time limit is, you know, nearing nearing an end. So it was an interesting dynamic, you know, 30 pages, which is, <laughs> was a standout for the rest of this book, I think. Yeah. And it, again, it speaks volumes of the new Batman's methods with like, you know, like Bruce wouldn't have just left Gordon hanging like that. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. But yeah. <laughs> And the stress that Gordon's currently under, like the city's changing and Gordon has to deal with it all because the city's getting worse and worse. Um, and there's a, there's a whole lot more of that coming because we're into the final four issues now of, of the crusade. So we're getting close to the end. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, because now we get a further distraction from the abattoir stuff with these characters, uh, again, more mercenary types turning up, yeah. uh, gun bunny and gun hawk. Um, and this is Detective Comics 674 now. So this is Gun Bunny and Gunhawk, uh, which are, I think, um, Leon, you called them the Cyclops lookalikes at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> yeah, big fat visor. <laughs> Not only that, that horrible Stars and Stripes bandana that he wears. And 
Oh, again, I mean, there's some, there's some, there's some semi cool moments with the the Gunhawk stuff. Like, um, I like, I, I, um, like, I like the moment where, um, like, the, he takes out the gun in the gun show, and like all of the NRA like hard carrying Second Amendment guys in there are like finally an excuse, and then everyone just pulls up. <laughs> mm. Yeah, <laughs> it's two identical panels, except one they're frowning, and the second they've all got guns out and smiling. Yeah, like- it's really really good paneling. I like his little cabin by the lake that is basically the distillation of everything I hate. <laughs> oh, with all the, uh, right. the mounted heads and everything. Yeah, like dead animals just pinned up everywhere. And then like he's reading a gun magazine. It's like guns and bikinis. What's it called? Bullets and babes or something like <laughs> Have you seen this latest issue of bullets and babes? Look at this gun. Like this is where he sees the Vandal Arms R5000D that he decides to try and steal from a gun show in Gotham. Because he <laughs> successfully carries out an assassination and the police have got no leads and Batman's struggling to figure it out. And then, he, you know, he's kind of got away with it, but he's dumb enough to go back and try and steal a big gun. <laughs> yeah, I do like that bunny turns to him and says, it's just another gun to the guy called Gunhawk. Like, like know who you're with. <laughs> yeah, like, and that comes like a panel or two after she's, uh, when he's like, have you seen the li- latest issue of like Bullets and Babes or whatever? And she's like, not yet. I've been rechambering the Winchester. <laughs> and it's like, mm. to be like, two sentences later it's just a gun honey like what's your obsession that's you two's whole identity know who you are it's just another gun don't we have enough <laughs> but this is the biggest gun blam 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 got him <laughs> it's like playing like oh dear lord yeah no like i i love the fact that they're like this this like <laughs> kind of like happy couple in paradise that are just like again like they're they're, they're just they're but they're both like psychopaths and it's, I don't know. I like the, I like the, the kind of juxtaposition of that, like the, the kind of like the domestic bliss, but yet they're both psychopaths kind of thing. Hmm. And they're behaving like any other couple would. Like if I had a magazine about, you know, comics previews and I was just like, but look, Sophie, this new Batman book. And she's like, but it's just another Batman book. Don't you have enough? Like <laughs> kind of thing. Like know who you're talking to, man. The guy called his podcast Ace Comicals <laughs> after Ace <laughs> Chemical Plant. But yeah, um, so then they go back in their their Cyclops cosplays to this gun um, convention and they try to steal this gun, but then it turns into a massive shootout because guess what? Everyone there is carrying a gun. (laughs) Um, And it ends there because, like, he gets away with... Because she's been shot, basically. And I think Azrael kind of, like, eats a few bullets as well. And he decides to try and get out of there, basically. Uh, he gets away with her and he goes to a hospital and he holds this this hospital hostage. Um, but before that, Batman decides, oh, to hell with this gunhawk guy. I'm going back after Abattoir. So he's like bouncing from rogue to rogue. And it's kind of like mirrors the ramp up that we get with um, Batman going through the gauntlet when he's going from rogue to rogue to rogue to rogue, getting exhausted. What we're getting here is we're getting Jean-Paul struggling to cope as he's bouncing from, you know, event to event, rogue to rogue, and then having to try and keep on top of it all while also deal with everything that's going on in his head with the system and everything else. And he can't hold it down. And he's just, he's basically going to snap and he's going to start getting really, really, really weird and violent, which is what happens. But yeah, so he's going back after Abattoir. And then uh, Marv, I will let you lead on this bit because I think this is the, this is what you came for. 
Yeah, the uh, the the final abattoir section. Like, I will preface this by saying um, the entire like the the only reason that I had any excitement for covering this section was um, years and years of reading and rereading Nightfall and Night's End and being like, what what's the deal with um, abattoir? Like, what did John Paul do that was so bad? Uh, how and why did he change his costume? And like. What's the deal with the visions? Because, like in Night's End, the visions—no, uh, it's not even a spoiler. Rahul, the visions that he's plagued with in this—they get worse in Night's End, and he's just like screaming at the sky when Saint Dumas is telling him that he's a usurper and he's he's disrespecting Azrael and he's disrespecting Batman and blah blah blah. And I thought, like, like much like your comments when we were reading Sword of Azrael, when you were like you were going through it and thinking there was going to be some depth explaining the system explaining this guy's backstory and stuff and it's just like this like two sentence explanation and then just 90s comics 90s comics 90s mm-hmm. comics i was like i was expecting more from this because i was like oh maybe he especially when the um the tally man uh deprivation tank stuff came up and i was like maybe we will get some much needed backstory before we take this guy down in the next phase uh and it's just more of the same all it's it is cop- is yeah, there's a cop out in the in the deprivation tank bit where it's just like, oh no, my dad programmed it so I couldn't find out the truth. Exactly, like oh, I wanted to punch, <laughs> I wanted to punch my iPad, but um, it's just like the the hallucinations. It's like the hallucinations have always been there and they always will, and we're not going to give you any more explanation. The costume, I decided to change it, and then I bur- I got burnt by a man made of acid, and I decided to change it more. Abattoir. Um, I had more hallucinations, and then he dropped into a pit of fire, and that's the comic. That's was, that's that's my that's my input for the abattoir section because it was just wholly disappointing. I was really expecting that, especially because like Bruce Wayne says it to him, like Tim Drake says it to him. Everyone's like, "I can't believe you let abattoir die. Like you're the worst Batman. Like you sullied the mantle of the bat." Like I thought he tortured him. I thought like I really thought it was going to be like um the end of Batman Begins, where it's like, I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you. And then he just walks away while he's like slowly being lowered into some trap or something. That's but it's not what it's, he does. Well, no, what happens is he's trying to make the decision. And then Saint Dumas and then his dad are like, oh, you're the avenging angel, Azrael. Um, kill him. Let him like, like strike the rope so that he falls. And then, uh, you know, the, the other hallucination is saying, no, zip your line over to him so that you can pull him in. And he's like, I can't make a decision. So I'll do nothing. And you're like, well, this is the most compelling character turn I've ever seen. Bye bye. (laughs) But it isn't, but it's not that it's the fact that he actively makes a decision to chase abattoir into a crowded smelting place. Uh, putting more lives in danger and then lets Abattoir's victim die as well because yeah, he knew this guy was missing and he didn't go, he didn't do a thing to try and solve that. He was just so focused and obsessed with getting Abattoir after Abattoir got away in the school bus incident hmm. that he just completely ignored the fact that Abattoir had a victim on the rack. <laughs> and and then the police, the police have this whole thing where they're trying to clean up his mess, where they have to try and find the victim and Bullock doesn't care because Bullock's Bullock, you know, but like everyone's has this, this, there's this whole thing where it's like, well, you know, you didn't just let Abattoir die. You also killed another man. Because yeah. what Bruce would have done is Bruce would have gone looking for the victim and uh, maybe Abattoir would have gotten away, but at least this guy would be safe, you know? Hmm. 
and this is where Robin sort of, st- this is where Robin turns back up. Actually, I was getting confused, but yeah, this is, this mm. is where Robin turns back up, uh, just in the nick of time, but not in the nick of, made to prevent larger disaster. Basically the only reason, uh, worse things didn't happen is because Robin was there to stop worse things happening. <laughs> but also there just in time to see that like Azrael's inability to choose or act is mm. basically the same as letting the man die. Yeah. And like from Robin's point of view, he doesn't know what the motivations are or the choice or lack of choice was. It's just the dude died and like yeah. it's his fault. It's Azrael's fault. He just saw Azrael standing there doing nothing watching him fall. Yeah. yeah. Um and it's like this is like the turning point, the moment where John Paul gets worse and gets more and more violent and realizes that you know, this is this is basically where he appoints himself judge, jury, and executioner. Because in his moment of indecision and watching Avatar die, he actually feels vindicated by that. Yeah, it's like, you know what? Yeah. Even if I did let him die, I did a good thing. I was honestly shocked. Like at two things at this point was like they let the guy, they let the victim die, and there's a panel at the start of the next issue where it's like Jean Paul Valley feels righteous. Like, I didn't realize that's where he would go with this. Like, cementing the idea that he's a douchebag. Like, he's just an <laughs> asshole. He, he hasn't learned anything from any of this. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. I, I didn't expect it to go there. This is this is where he gets tipped over the edge, because the visions get worse, and then he gets worse. Um, Leon, thoughts on this section? Uh, I don't really want to echo too much of what's been said already, but I agree with most of it. I, I, I do like... The uh, the panel of the victim dying, that stuff's done so well because you have, like, hmm. the beginning bit with the weights and stuff and then, like, the... Ah, but it's the, the plep plep of the, the blood as um, John Paul's, like, screaming in the Batcave trying to get his, his mind right and, like, just seeing, like, the uh, the, the victim, like, die. It, it's, it is quite brutal. It's, like, it's, it's chilling. And, mm. uh, and it is, like... Yeah. Um, I think it... Like, this is the type of, like, thing where quote-unquote edginess sort of isn't isn't um pointless yeah yeah the thing is edginess is just like uh violence but like with the meaning removed to a to a a degree this has a point (laughs) so adding the meaning in that makes it mean more uh which obviously goes without saying but like um having that there that context there adds extra weight to to this to this bit and like a a a bunch of it is like off screen to a degree like you, you we focus more on the person going through the pain rather than it just being like pow and this person's dead and that mm. that's what makes it quite uh, impactful especially as a mm. end to an issue so this is the darkest point this is the total eclipse now um and like this is just basically like there's some really great lettering as well like i love the lettering on that death scene like when we see the the like as the clock goes ratch as the the hatch opens and drops another wake tank like i love it i love that lettering those sound effects it's absolutely brilliant like you can feel it it's such fantastic visceral work it really is um and i believe we have um ken brisanak to thank for that because 
just some fantastic, fantastic onomatopoeia lettering there. Also, spot on. Uh, I, I'm assuming this is intentional, or maybe it's you know it's easy to read into this, but like the intensity of what you just described, and then the sort of impotence of Azrael's scream of like "no" into the cavern, like yeah. just highlights how how disparate those two things are. Like if he was, if he took the time to sort his shit out, he could have saved this guy. There was enough time that he could have, if he wasn't too busy, like getting his mind right, he could he could have done something about this. But he's just impotently screaming into his cavern. Like, it's, I, that's really effective. And then uh, the next book is basically, um, like, Gordon's, like, you know, I can no longer trust the Batman thing. And, like, the, the cover, the Brian Stelfreeze cover with Kamish smashing the Brilliant. bat signal, the butt of his gun. I love it. Absolutely love it. And we're right at the end now. This is, like, the end of uh, the crusade because we're right coming to the end uh what i'm gonna do actually because i'm i'm messing with the reading order a bit because i think that um it fits better with night's end with this so what i'm gonna do is when we cover night's end by the way listener we're going to tag robin issue seven onto the beginning of night's end because i think it fits better that way um so we're gonna because we've already discussed why we don't like the search at the beginning of this episode so we're gonna we're not gonna do a deep episode on the search uh, on the search we're going to uh tag the end of the search robin issue seven onto the beginning of night's end which is where we will pick up next time but like on this issue here with commissioner gordon is commissioner gordon's crisis of faith in the batman um you know him him just a lot of his this is basically where they find the victim this is like the, the fallout of the abattoir incident this is where they find the, the dead body uh, on the rack and, uh, you know, Batman is taking out his anger on a group of street punks who decide they're going to do some wilding. Um, but before any of that, we've got the standoff on the rooftop between Commissioner Gordon and Batman. And, and Commissioner Gordon is so angry at this point. He actually takes a swing at Batman. And I love the impotence of it where he takes this swing at Batman. Batman steps out of the way and lets him fall off the ledge and then saves him. And then this is this is the point I keep talking about where he points himself judge, jury and executioner because he's like, on the contrary, commissioner, human life means everything to me. Decent human life. Hmm. And I make that decision because I'm Batman, the guardian of this city, and I operate outside of your laws and regulations and I do what I want to do. And, and you know, you're, he's almost like intimidation tactics. It's like, I do what I want to do and you're going to let me do it because you have no power. And then by the end of that, he just loses it completely. And we get this awesome panel of him screaming damn and then smashing the bat signal, which I absolutely adore. And then Azrael just taking out his anger on these street punks, just getting worse and worse with his internal monologue. Like, how dare they say I, you know, I, I failed. How dare they? You know, I, I, yes, one man died, but I, I, I saved countless others by killing Abattoir, you know, multiple homicide, serial killer or whatever. And he's he's really, really angry at this point. And he's getting really, really violent, really brutal and really nasty. Like he does a real number on these guys. And then smashes the camera. You get the scene because the public's watching. Like, you know that if this was in 2021, that would have been a camera phone. <laughs> and they'd be filming him. Like, and, and like, it's it's just the fact that this is in the 90s and that's the same type of scene. Where it's like the whole thing where the world's watching. The world's oh. watching you have this this breakdown and, and not be the symbol that you are anymore. And then he just 
smashes the camera. Without, without, um, without dropping any spoilers before uh, anyone gets a chance to talk about the show on the podcast, this is that episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It totally is. I wanted to say that, and you've just taken the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thoughts on Commissioner Gordon's crisis. Um, we'll keep it brief. We'll start with Ray. I mean, this issue is really good. It's a good combination. Um, like, this is where I'm starting to get a bit tired. <laughs> so, like, uh, I don't have any deep thoughts on it, but I feel like this this is this is the satisfying ending I was kind of looking forward to, where um, it really cements again. It cements how much of a douchebag uh, Jean is because he's like he's always banging on about how he took down Bane, but we all agree that Bane was being a bit of a bitch when he like he broke Batman or whatever. And like, fine, you took down Bane and it took all your strength or whatever, but you're still not upholding the other virtues that it takes to be Batman. Um, and so he's so upset with Gordon uh, calling him a murderer that he beats on some street thugs. Like, okay, fine. Um, and then immediately after, again, time to make another fucking suit using the system. Like, who <laughs> uh, Who cares? I, I, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, this one doesn't even look that different. It's just got full yeah. machine guns in it. Like, mm. Yeah. It's it mixed feelings throughout this entire book. Like, yeah, I, I like the escalation of that moment. But again, it's just just more reasons to not like Jean-Paul. Um, Leon, you got anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, I'll just say, I think um, this talking specifically Gordon and, and Bat, um, fake bats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think the it's it's a well done sequence of panels. I think that, as Ross said, Rahul said, the uh, escalation uh, and the build up of it is really good, and I do like that it's now hitting a point where now all of Batman's uh, allies are like, if, if like all the ones who weren't in the know are now like, man, this this is just the end of it. This doesn't. It doesn't work as far as we're concerned. Like the Batman is kind of dead now because now we have this uh, this this <laughs> pure like rage incarnate just doing doing what he wants and uh, no matter what happens and like it's it's such a um, perversion and disrespect of like what Batman stood for and it's not even like he is just evil Batman. It's that um, which would be like a thing. Instead, it, 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 it hurts more because it's um, it, it, it's someone like devaluing um, what Batman stands for and and sort of desecrating the, the notion of going out and helping people and people first. Um, and it just becomes this thing about like justice and, and uh, moral absolutism. So. Yeah, I think that stuff works well. Like the rest of the issues, it's got some like kind of like cool action of uh, Batman like beating up thugs and stuff. But I think it that that sequence and then the later sequence of of Gordon dealing with it all is really the sort of the the meat of of this book, and it, it's the it's the best stuff of it. Uh, and as Russell said, like it seems like they kept things towards the end start to like connect up a bit better. And uh, when you're at this point, when you've read so many pictures, it it is kind of nice to see stuff coming together. Um, Things coming to a head. Yeah. Like, I don't feel it's a hundred percent effective. I I, I do enjoy that. 
they yeah. to get back on the rails. I think if it hadn't been so drawn out to get to this point, then maybe it would have been more effective. I think, I think that this is a symptom of it being so played out over so long. Like they could have condensed it down and they could have done it a lot better, a lot quicker, I think. Uh, which is a point that I raised earlier. Um, but we're into the, we're into the end now. So this is basically the confrontation between, uh, Batman and Gunhawk. And he's basically been pushed by Gunhawk to modify his suit once more. Now he's got a fully automatic weapon attached to the, uh, attached to the gauntlet, basically a fully automatic shuriken minigun gauntlet machine gun thing, um, that he's testing out on his little shooting range that Robin takes issue with. Uh, Robin hates that shooting range. <laughs> Um, and he's, uh, he goes out basically, um, Gunhawk's turned up at the hospital and he's like trying to get help at gunpoint for his, his, you know, his wife who they probably would have helped anyway. Like you didn't need to do that. Um, but there we go. And he basically turns the hospital into a battleground and there's this shootout between Batman and Gunhawk, which in this like deserted hospital that's been evacuated, which I find a little bit reminiscent of the Batman Zass stuff in the uh the bit in the um the 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 gauntlet area of the nightfall saga towards the beginning of nightfall where batman takes out zass and now we've got this like fully formed asbat this this dark avenger with like this cape that's basically like blades with this fully automatic shuriken thing with like the ammo pack attached to his back and it's just it's he near enough kills night gunhawk as well by just like dra- like dumping him down the stairs basically like he doesn't realize that he hasn't killed gunhawk and he's just kind of watching from the shadows at the end from a vantage point um and they're all kind of like um everyone's like at this point everyone's like batman's as bad as everyone else they're they're scared of him basically at this point because he's just completely gone off the edge and this is where we end it today because this this final issue uh this final page here um with batman in this hidden vantage point um and he's like you know basically they're saying that um that this is the shooter that basically because they they're still, they're still looking for the shooter that carried out the hit like a few issues earlier like at the beginning of the uh, like it sort of like interlude with the abattoir stuff and um they're like oh this is the shooter that did it and it's like you know um the, the they're talking about the batman but they're calling him a psychotic masked man you know they're not they're not looking up to him anymore they're like this is just a crazy violent vigilante that we've got hanging out in our city who's as dangerous as anyone else so and I love this 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 final panel of him looming over everyone in this this hidden vantage point. Um, and uh, guys, what do we what do we make of this ending? So we will start with Marv this time. Um, I, I like I like the uh, as you say the, the the emotions that you have from the GCPD, like just. Basically, everyone being horrified by by what Jean Paul's done to the city and the mantle of the bat. Um, yeah, like the thing is, my my um, my compilation, the the Comicsology uh, compilation of Night Quest, the final issue there ends on is the same as the final issue of the Search. 
Um, so like my my emotional ending of this was uh, Bruce returning home and like having the confrontation with Jean Paul in the cave and like mm. realizing that he's not ready. So like yeah. to me that was where it ended. But like in terms of like the narrative of the crusade, it is nice to sort of tie everything up and see that like he has no backers, he has no supporters. Like everyone just knows that he he is what Bane called him. He is the usurper and he is just tarnishing everything that Bruce has done when it comes to Gotham and the admittedly not perfect equilibrium that uh, Gotham has with crime and justice and everything. Mm. And this is, this is just like the ending in full darkness that I would have wanted from something like the crusade where we're watching him get worse. And now we've watched him be born again, like peaked as this like terrible, um, um, what kind of tyrant almost in that basically presides over Gotham, this, this beast, this demon in the shadows that just dispenses justice his way on his terms, violent, uncompromising, not the Batman at all. Uh, Rahul, your thoughts to close out. Weird mixed feelings, I think, because I like how um, all these threads were sort of tied together and it's, you know, there's, um, all the abattoir stuff was, the, I felt like, the combination, really. And then it, um, Gordon's reaction and stuff that we just talked about. And in this one, it's sort of, it's it's the uh, the yes and of it all. It's like we get this catharsis, or we get this, like, climactic ending, we get this drama. And then it's all the stuff that I tend not to like about serialised comics or serialised drama in general, like, you know, soap operas or TV shows or whatever, where... I, I want I want an ending. I want like a defined ending, and it sounds like what Marvin just described, where it's um, you know Bruce coming back and seeing the consequence, or like seeing you know um, uh, taking uh, a look at like an overhead view of all of the changes that have happened and it not being what he expected. That's what I would want to see for a cliffhanger at the end of this series. I think as a hook to keep going on to the next story, because if I don't get that, then I just want. I want some finality. I want it to be the well, end of the story and I don't want to read anymore. That's um, what Robin number seven is. Right. That's okay. where we're going to pick up next time. So it sounds like I'll need to read that because that, that's yeah. where I have mixed feelings on it. I feel like it needs, it just needs a little bit more to like mm. a, as a denouement, which I didn't get from this, but like that final panel is, is really foreboding. And I like, I don't, <laughs> I have this thing where I don't really, I don't want to get that invested in this. Cause I wasn't that satisfied with the 700 pages it took to get here, but I do kind of want some conclusion. So I'm going to have to, yeah. it's, it's got me hooked. Like I, I'm going to want to read the next few issues that follow on just to see what happens next and what consequences yeah. he has to deal with. I think I feel similar to you. My thing is that I, I am, you know, I, yes, I'm satisfied by the ending. Like this is what I wanted. This, this dark, new batman that's now fully taken over gotham and that everyone's frightened of this tyrant that rules with an iron fist through fear that is carrying out this this brutal crusade and is as bad as any of the other rogues that roam gotham the only thing is he's a predator a rogue that preys on other rogues but like the 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 i i feel i would have felt better about it had it not taken so long to get to this point like i i feel like i feel like it was just too drawn out uh, by the end of it. And this is like the third time I've read Night Quest now in my, uh, in my life. Um, and every time I, I know it's not, it's the weakest section of the Nightfall thing, but like every time I, I, I go back to it and I, I do, you know, like I can't ignore it because it's such a huge chunk 
And it, it, it's like Marv said, you, you would read Night Night's End and you'd be like, but who's this abattoir guy they're all talking about? But I reckon there's a lot of it that I could leave and I could just possibly just take certain bits of it, the relevant bits, like the abattoir stuff and whatever, and just go from there. Um, Leon, your final thoughts on, on, on this ending here. Yeah, I, I pretty much uh, mirror what everyone said. Uh, like Rahul, I do feel that like I, I agree, I think that the art is really cool in the last, the way how it ends for us. But I, I feel like the text really makes it feel like the next issue is just going to be business as usual. Like it, cause it, they're just talking about, it's like Bullock being like, yeah, yeah, uh, call it a hunch or whatever. And then it's like, uh, the lieutenant dude is like, you mean call it the Batman and Bullock's all like jealous or whatever. And it's, it's such a weird, it's such weird text for it to end that end that way, considering how the last issue ended. It feels like uh, the sequence in doesn't work as much, but knowing knowing that the Robin story fits better as an ending does make a lot more sense. Yeah, and Bullock's his only supporter at this point. <laughs> Bullock's all uh, Jean Paul twenty twenty kind of thing, like. <laughs> Uh, Jean Paul 2021, sorry. Um, so like that closes us out. That is the night quest. Um, we did it guys. We got through the hardest bit. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I mean, how do we all feel? (laughs) Drained. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's exactly how reading. Yeah. Well, Guess what? <laughs> it's not over. But at least, at least you're through. You're through the bit that I would call the slog, which is the longest section. That is also possibly the bit that isn't as it's it's the least entertaining bit as well. Um, but in in the spirit of of everything, I wanted to cover all of it. So, firstly, I apologise for putting you all through that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, secondly, um, I. I'm 100%, you know, like, I'm glad we, I'm glad we actually got to cover it and go through it because I feel like I would be doing a disservice to Nightfall by not covering it, uh, because I wanted to fully cover the whole thing. That's what this whole series was about with the Ace Comicals thing. Cause that's, this is, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to discuss each bit. So we did it. We got to the end of Night Quest and now it's on to Night's End and we will pick up next time on Robin number seven, which is the turning point, the conclusion. Well, it, it's called the conclusion of Night Quest, but I'm not covering that today. I'm, I'm leaving it here and we're going to cover that tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow? No, <laughs> next time. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, thank you everybody for listening. That has been Ace Comicals Presents Nightfall Part 4. You can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. www.acecomicals.com is the hub for everything that we do. We're, we're on Instagram under Ace Comicals. Uh, at us, DM us, send us messages, get involved in the conversation. Um, yeah, we, we want to hear from you if you're reading these comics and we'd like to hear your opinions as well. Um, Marv, where can we find you? Uh, on Instagram, Marv Lafayette 84 and on Twitter at Marvin Lafayette. Rahul, where can we find you? On Twitter at Monkey, M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And Leon, where can we find you? Find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. And you can find me on Twitter under at Bato and, uh, again, you know, get involved in the conversation at me, DM me. I want to talk about comics. That's why I'm there. 
That's pretty much all I use Twitter for. So <laughs> get involved. Yeah. Uh, so that has been Ace Comicals over and out.